another episode of Pick 6 Movies. Wait, this is your first time? Well, we'll be gentle, I promise. What we do is me, that's Bo Ransdell, and my oldest pal, Chad Cooper, cook up some crazy theme, pick six movies based around that theme, and then we do a whole show about them. There's a fun story to start with, and if that ain't enough, Chad and I wander our way through the plot of these cockamamie movies, usually with a silly voice or two for good measure. This is season 11. We're all gonna die! And this happens to be episode 3 of said season. War of the Worlds. No, not the good one. That's not what we do here. The one with Tom Cruise and one of the Fanning sisters. So, grab yourself a cold one, settle in, and get ready for an invasion of fun. Chad, let's do this thing. Once upon a time, people arranged their lives around television program airtimes, from local news to children's programming to the dominant NBC sitcom lineup of Thursday night's must-see TV. Americans would rush home in time to have their eyes and their ears and their brains filled with information and entertainment, all dictated by the likes of TV Guide. But today, rushing home to ensure that you see the start of your favorite television program live is mostly relegated to sporting events where people have some action on the game and they need to see what's happening in real time to see if these no-good sons of bitches can cover the frickin' spread! For the most part, entertainment these days is delivered when we want it, where we want it. Immediate gratification is changing viewer expectations to the point where people expect to be given entertainment they don't even know they want before they even know they want it. It's no longer about just giving people the thing that they want now. It's about giving them the thing they will want in the future, but somehow giving it to them in the past. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, and technological forces beyond podcasting, hosting comprehension are slowly turning all of us, you, me, some other third person, all into self-entitled assholes. And we all demand everything all the time just the way we want it. But it wasn't always like this. And the question is, how did we get here? Well, to get that answer, we kind of need to step into the Wayback Machine and set it to 1938, when the primary form of family entertainment came from sitting around during the golden age of radio programs. Millions of Americans had their oversized wooden radios turned on and tuned in because there was nothing else to do but maybe read a book. Wait, what? And drink newly legalized booze. Oh, yeah. Americans would sit around their radio and hear all forms of entertainment, like the clever comedic backs and forths of ventriloquist Edgar Bergen and his dummy Charlie McCarthy. Now, for those of you who question what type of person watches The Masked Singer, my guess is that Ancestry.com has evidence and documentation to prove a direct lineage back to people who used to listen to ventriloquists on the radio. Now, on one particular night, October 31st, 1938, Halloween, or as it is called by modern-day anthropologists and historians researching this specific date in the 1930s, the day no kid got no candy. 
Well, on this night, famed ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, he wrapped up taking his self-inflicted insults from his oversized puppet on the national broadcast company, NBC. And it was about 8.12. And at this time, some singer took over the airwaves to warble about 23 skidooing or walking my best gal home. And about this time, many discerning Americans did what we all do. They changed the channel when something really shitty showed up and they headed over to the Columbia Broadcasting System, CBS. And what they heard is a thing of legend. A regular old radio play was in progress, followed by a weather report. Then the whole thing was interrupted by an announcer who came on and tossed to some programming that went over to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where listeners heard Ramon Raquelo and his orchestra play dance music for a short time. And then it all began. The announcer broke in and reported Professor Farnell of Mount Jenning Observatory had detected explosions on the planet Mars. And they cut back to Ramon and his orchestra playing a little more music and then there was another interruption and easily excitable listeners at home heard that a large meteor had crashed into a farmer's field in the town of Grover's Mills, New Jersey and everyone was like, holy shit, really? About this time, a news reporter got to the crash site of this meteor and started giving first-hand accounts of Martians coming out of large metallic cylinders. He described how these gray snake-like creatures were coming out of the ground one after the other with tentacles and bodies, and he said it was the size of a bear and it glistened like wet leather and it had eyes that were black and gleamed like a serpent. He said the mouth of the creature was V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips that seemed to quiver and pulsate. And then it was reported that there were similar events in Chicago and St. Louis, and they started showing up everywhere. And the announcer started reporting widespread panic that had broken out across the entire country. Now about this time, the Martians started walking around and they were firing laser heat ray weapons at the humans who had gathered at the crash sites. The aliens annihilated a force of 7,000 National Guardsmen, and after being attacked by artillery and bombers, the Martians released a poisonous gas into the air. Over the radio airwaves, audiences heard piercing screams of horror that were followed by the reporter describing burning fields and exploding automobiles until the broadcast ended with a crash of the microphone and then dead silence. And it all sounded so real, except for the fact that none of it was true. See, it wasn't a news broadcast. It was a radio play titled The War of the Worlds. And maybe you've heard of it. It's probably the most famous radio broadcast of all time. This legendary radio play was the brainchild of writer, director, and actor Orson Welles. And this realistic dramatization of this Martian invasion of Earth was based on the 1897 science fiction novel by H.G. Wells. No relation to the aforementioned Orson. Wells, Orson, not HG, was 23 years old at the time of this radio broadcast, and he was an entertainment prodigy, destined for lasting fame as the director and star of the 1941 motion picture, Citizen Kane. Wells had worked in radio for several years at the time of this broadcast, and he was actually the voice of The Shadow, a hit mystery radio program of the day that was later turned into a feature film starring Alec Baldwin as Michael Keaton in Tim Burton's Batman. Orson Welles' radio production of The War of the Worlds is a thing of radio broadcast history do, some say, to its level of realism, but more so to the public response to the production. Because the day after the production aired, newspapers from coast to coast revealed that mass hysteria had broken out across the country because listeners thought the radio play was an actual news report. Newspapers reported people fleeing their homes. Police stations were overwhelmed with concerned calls. The radio production disrupted house 
households, interrupted religious services, and created traffic jams. It clogged up telephone lines. Families in New Jersey rushed from their homes with towels over their faces. Newspapers reported there was mass hysteria from coast to coast. In Providence, Rhode Island, the Providence Journal reported weeping and hysterical women overwhelmed the newspaper with calls asking for details of the massacre. In Pittsburgh, the Associated Press reported a man returned home in the middle of the broadcast and found his wife holding a bottle of poison in her hand saying, I'd rather die this way than that way. Newspapers reported that in San Francisco, police fielded hundreds of calls from frightened listeners, including one man who wanted to volunteer to help fight the Martian invaders. The radio show was so terrifying in its accounts of invading Martians, blasting deadly heat rays, that this singular radio broadcast is remembered like no other radio program is remembered in the history of radio because of all of this panic, because of all of this terror, and mostly because none of this is true either. Wait, what? Oh, jeez. In 2011, W. Joseph Campbell, an American University professor of communication studies, published an article that outlined how the reports of people being hysterically frightened was almost entirely anecdotal and largely based on sketch wire service roundups and emphasized breadth of embellished reporting over in-depth details and facts. Campbell highlighted that several sources of the reports relating to thousands of panic-stricken Americans were wildly exaggerated. Hadley Contrill, a Princeton University psychologist estimated that 6 million people listen to the War of the Worlds radio dramatization, and of that number, an estimated 1.2 million listeners were reported to be frightened or disturbed by what they heard. And don't forget that this was broadcast on Halloween night. Campbell noted in his article that being frightened or disturbed are not the same as panic-stricken, and most listeners were not all that upset by the show. And if you read the newspaper accounts of people losing their minds and going bananas that night, a lot of this reporting reads as exaggerated accounts of events. Campbell points out that newspapers presented sweeping claims about thousands or even millions of panic-stricken Americans, but offered very little supporting documentation. And it should be noted that none of the newspapers reported any deaths or serious injuries related to the response of the War of the Worlds broadcast. And if disaster movies have taught me anything, when when a mob goes bonkers with hysterical madness, at least one person is going to get trampled to death while a woman stands by herself looking left to right screaming, my baby, my baby. Now, why would newspapers report such inaccuracies? One theory is money. And I doubt there's a second theory. Not only did these reports sell a few more newspapers for a couple of days, but this was a great opportunity for newspaper publishers to point out the evils of this new medium of radio, which was proving to be a competitor in providing news to people and grabbing dollars from advertisers. A report in the New York Times related to the War of the World's Mass Hysteria, well, it noted, radio is new, but it has adult responsibilities. It has not mastered itself or the material it uses. Oh man, just wait till the internet shows up, my innocent old-timey friend. But the myth of mass panic was out there, and this myth added to the lore of Orson Welles. It solidified him as the bad boy genius who would go on to do some of his best work over the next seven years, all before turning 30, only to return triumphantly decades later to ask Miss Tracy to prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog and Company in the Muppet movie. Now, did Orson Welles broadcast a radio production of The War of the World? Yes. Did this radio production cause people to freak out and take to the streets, repenting, looting, and screaming? No. 
is this one of the most famous radio broadcasts of all time because of a story that's almost 100% not true? Absolutely. Because it's a great story based on an adaptation of a great story. And if it was good enough to make a lot of people believe that once upon a time, a lot of other people, allegedly, shit their pants just hearing about this story on the radio, well then the world of the worlds had to be good enough to hit the big screen as a movie. And in 1953, the first of five adaptations of the novel was made, and it was produced by George Powell, who would later go on to adapt the H.G. Wells novel The Time Machine for the silver screen as well. The 1953 adaptation of The War of the Worlds was directed by Brian Haskin, who prior to this had directed Disney's Treasure Island, and he would later go on to direct that film sequel, Long John Silver. Later in his career, Haskin directed episodes of the sci-fi anthology series The Outer Limits, among other television shows throughout the 1960s. This first adaptation of The War of the Worlds is considered to be one of the greatest science fiction films of the 1950s. It was a modern retelling of the 1897 novel and switched the setting from Victorian-era England to 1950s Southern California. In the movie, Earth is invaded by Martians, an American scientist, Dr. Clayton Forrester... How do I know that name? Anyway, Dr. Forrester played by Gene Barry, searches for any weakness that can stop the invading aliens. And with the help of USC library science instructor Sylvia Van Buren, played by Anne Robinson, then there's a lot of battles and some more stuff happens. And ultimately, the aliens are eventually killed when they get a virus from Earth's atmosphere and they die. Boy, that sounds familiar. The movie won an Oscar for visual effects and was selected as part of the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress as it was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And here it is listed alongside other culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant films such as Purple Rain, starring a previously not-dead prince, and the movie Clerks, starring a previously heavy Kevin Smith and a previously high Jason Mewes. The National Film Registry noted the film's release during the early years of the Cold War and how it used the apocalyptic paranoia of the atomic age as a central theme. And really capitalizing on people's fears is a theme that repeatedly makes its way into the War of the World's legacy. In this adaptation, the UFOs were designed to look like flying manta rays and not the standard hovering silver saucers on strings of the era. These flying manta ray ships had articulated metal necks with an almost snake-like head with this big eye on the front and looked like a periscope. This great big eye blasted out a red laser beam and, and had a high pitch shriek that accompanied the death ray that was created by an orchestra of violins and cellos. And for years after this, that signature blast sound was the go-to audio for anybody needing an authentic sound effect for a laser blaster or a ray gun. And in later years, that sound effect was repeatedly used on the science fiction anthology television series, The Outer Limits. Hey, that's the show the director of the movie ended up working on. <laughs> Look at that. These flying Martian manta ray ships, they also had pulsing green rays that would blast out of the sides and kill people. Filmmakers also had some real challenges in trying to adapt the tripods described in the H.G. Wells original novel. So instead, filmmakers decided to make the flying manta ray ships float in the air above the ground where there would be three invisible legs below. And that turned out in the final film about as good as you think it would. But it was all still really impressive. The movie hit theaters and it was a giant hit with both critics and audiences. The movie was the biggest science fiction film of 1953, and it was the ninth highest grossing movie of that year. And the villains in this film, the Martians, well, they were ranked the 27th 
Best Villain in the American Film Institute's 100 Heroes and Villains list, placing just ahead of number 28, Max Cady in Cape Fear. And that's Mitchum's Max Cady, and not De Niro's Max Cady. And the influence of this original cinematic adaptation of The War of the Worlds was far-reaching. In 1988, there was a TV series produced that was a sequel to the original film adaptation. Anne Robinson, who played USC library science instructor Sylvia Van Buren, she reprised her role in three episodes of that show. And it should be noted that Anne Robinson reprised her role as USC library science instructor Sylvia Van Buren in two other films, 1988's Midnight Movie Massacre, and then as Dr. Sylvia Van Buren in 2005's The Naked Monster. As previously noted, the Martians in the original War of the Worlds were defeated by a virus. And so when Roland Emmerich decided to make the 1996 Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum blockbuster Independence Day, he thought, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so it was that the aliens in Independence Day would be done in by a virus. A computer virus? How clever. Outside of big screen blockbusters, the small screen ball busters over at Mystery Science Theater 3000, well, that show was hosted by a Dr. Clayton Forrester, who was named after the hero of the original 1953 film. Oh, that's how I know that name. War of the Worlds even inspired a musical stage production. And that had to be a treat. There was a real-time strategy video game. The movie went on to inspire a direct-to-DVD H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds in 2005 that has a few mild references to the original version of the film. But honestly, why would anyone want to remake a classic like The War of the Worlds? It's iconic. It's legendary. Who would ever do that? Well, iconic and legendary director Steven Spielberg. Back in 2002, Spielberg directed the sci-fi action thriller Minority Report with famed couch hopper and ex-Mrs. Mimi Rogers, Tom Cruise. Spielberg enjoyed working with Cruise so much that he was looking for another project for them to tackle. And when the idea of doing a remake of The War of the Worlds was pitched, Spielberg said, we looked at each other and the lights went on. And as soon as I heard it, I said, oh my God, War of the Worlds, absolutely, that was it. Now, remaking War of the Worlds was to be the third outer space alien movie for Spielberg, with the previously released Close Encounters of the Third Kind and E.T. the Extraterrestrial serving as two of his biggest movies of the 1980s. But in those movies, the aliens were sweet and kind, like ALF or Starman. But in this movie, Spielberg wanted to make a film where the aliens were more terrifying, like The Thing or Yoda. Wonder Kid J.J. Abrams and his mystery box were brought in to pin the screenplay, but he was busy banging out the pilot script for a little TV show called Lost. Maybe you've heard of it. I've heard of it, but I never watched it. But I've heard of it. Josh Friedman, who later brought unto the world Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, he delivered an original draft of the screenplay, but it was rewritten by David Coep, who wrote the screenplays for Jurassic Park and Carlito's Way and Mission Impossible and that first Spider-Man and just about everything else ever made. Coep took the setting of the original novel from the late 1800s and he set it in present day, but with many of the same struggles in the novel, including limited technology and limited communication. Spielberg was drawn to the theme of the central character's fight 
for survival, especially in light of the attacks of September 11th that had occurred just a few years prior to the movie starting production. Spielberg said that he wanted War of the Worlds to be the opposite of close encounters of the third kind, with the latter being a story of a man leaving his family, and the former to be a story about a man fighting to keep his family together during unpredictable, chaotic circumstances. Spielberg also decided to mix things up a bit and not have the aliens show up from above in outer space, as was the case in the previous adaptation, but instead it was decided that the invasion would come from within Earth, where the alien pods had been buried for many, many years. The movie stars the aforementioned Tom Cruise, and cast to play his daughter was Dakota, my sister is L, thank you very much, Fanning. Fanning was fresh, coming off playing Sally in the Mike Myers Fever Dream adaptation of Dr. Seuss's The Cat in the Hat, and separately walking away slowly alongside Denzel Washington as a car explodes in the background in the film Man on Fire. Tim Robbins shows up in the movie to play one of his last roles before you started asking, hey, whatever happened to Tim Robbins? John Williams did the musical score because, well, it's a Spielberg movie. Stars of the original War of the Worlds, Gene Barry, a.k.a. Dr. Clayton Forrester, not the one from Mystery Science Theater 3000, and Ann Robinson, a.k.a. USC library science instructor Sylvia Van Buren. Well, they both returned with a couple of cameos at the end of the movie. And when the film hit theaters on June 29, 2005, it made like a bajillion dollars because it was a Steven Spielberg movie with Tom Cruise about an alien invasion. And it was the third highest grossing movie of 2005, only surpassed by Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, Ugh and Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. It was nominated for three Academy Awards for visual effects and sound mixing and sound editing, but it lost all three of those to that Peter Jackson remake of King Kong. And critics genuinely liked the movie, and it currently has a 75% freshness rating over on Rotten Tomatoes. But the thing about Rotten Tomatoes is it's a binary choice. You're either a Rotten Tomato or a Fresh Tomato. You don't like it or you do like it. And some reviews really praise the signature Spielberg action set pieces throughout the film, and they also really seem to enjoy the darker narrative related to the protagonist. But the movie was pretty regularly dinged for an overall lackluster finale. And taking all of this into account, the reviews of the movie are more of a mixed bag of subtle nuance, something that we here at Pick 6 Movies know nothing about. You don't believe me? Really? All right, fine. You know what? Then let's do this. I don't need any algorithm or supercomputer out in the Arizona desert to run a simulation model leveraging terabytes of data in real time to give you information you don't even know you need to prove that this podcast is hosted by a couple of self-indulgent know-nothing know-it-alls. You know what? Hey, Bo, this joker listening to the podcast thinks that we are capable of holding two opposing ideas in our heads at the same time and expressing these thoughts in subtle, refined ways in an effort to provide clarity and insight. Yeah, you know what, Bo? I think it's time that you and I take this simpleton out back and prove that we have no idea what we're talking about when it comes to anything. You know what? Nobody doesn't call us stupid and get away with it. So just keep listening, bucko, and we'll show you that we're dumber than we even think we are. Ladies and gentlemen, HGs and Orsons, it's 2005 summer blockbuster War of the Worlds. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper and I am joined as always by my outer space, sci-fi, intergalactic partner in crime, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, 
Yes. How are you doing this evening? I, I'm doing great. Coming up from the ground, Chad, in a twist. So let's inventory all of the ways that we're all going to die thus far in this season, mm-hmm. season 11, where we're looking at an overarching theme of things that are killing all humans on this planet we like to call Earth. So we've had viruses. We've had plants and breezes combined. Yes. They can't do it by themselves individually, but when they team up. Oh, Nilly. Yeah, it's a it's a real Jeff Dunham and Peanut kind of combo. <laughs> One without the other don't work. <laughs> Wait a minute. What if I was a ventriloquist and a racist? <laughs> you know, I like I feel like I am just taking shots at this guy because other people I respect and admire do. I couldn't say that I've ever seen Jeff Dunham perform more than say two minutes of comedy. Before I was like, ah, no, and then just clicked it off. If I told you we're going to go see a ventriloquist and his puppets involve the following, a talking chili pepper, okay, a skeleton that is the remains of a terrorist who has been blown up. Oh boy, that seems problematic, but go on. An old white man. Wait, 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 wait. How old? Like Joe Biden old. Oh yeah, he's going to, he's going to have some baggage. His surprise puppet is going to be a watermelon. (laughs) Jeff Dunham. All right. He doesn't really have a watermelon yet. Um, (laughs) Yet. (laughs) Let's talk about what's going to kill everybody tonight. And it's really one of the mainstays of extermination of humans on Earth. And we're talking about aliens from outer space. Oh, sure. A lot of classic alien movies. You got your Invasion of the Body Snatchers Mm -hmm. is aliens from outer space. Yep. You you got your uh, Independence Days. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got your Star Warses. Yep. You've got your Max and Me's. You've got your Meatballs as twos. You got your things. The thing was gonna was gonna come down and and uh, kill us all before Kurt Russell stood in the way. Mm-hmm. You have Cheech Marin's Born in East L.A. Mm-hmm. That he was an illegal alien, <laughs> which makes it particularly bad. Because not on, not only are you coming from another galaxy, you ain't got the permits. Earth girls are easy. I think they were trying to kill Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, he was he was kind of an Ewok, like a blue Ewok in that mm-hmm. movie. Batteries not included, Cocoon, Cocoon 2, Jessica Tandy died in that. Oh, and R.I.P. Brian Dennehy, who just passed away. Talk about your, uh, <laughs> your great character actors. Well, he was an alien in that movie. He went back to his home planet, Chad. <laughs> He was a bartender in the Dudley Moore motion picture 10 featured on this very podcast. Yeah. He was also a Tommy boy's dad Mm -hmm, where he was married to Bo Derek, who was also in the movie 10 featured on this very podcast. Boy, that 10 is a real honker (laughs) is what I, what I'm reminded of. Let's talk about the war of the worlds. Oh yeah. 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 So the war of the worlds, uh, the George Powell movie, uh, no, 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 no. We're going to talk about the Steven Spielberg version that came out, uh, what was the year? 2005, the year of our Lord. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> well, that's not nearly as good. <laughs> Look, if you didn't do notes on that film, I'll carry you. And then you just periodically throw in a pop culture reference from the year 1978 to 1984, and we'll be fine. So the usual show. Got it. <laughs> Pretty much. So our movie starts off, and we see what looks like the Matoba virus from episode one about outbreak. And it slowly turns into like mitochondria or bacteria, and this becomes cells, which becomes water, and it's on a leaf that becomes the planet Earth. And it's a little artsy-fartsy, if you ask me. It essentially looks like like a fiji water commercial or something yeah <laughs> but you also have much like the metabo virus the inclusion of uh your morgan freeman mm-hmm. 
who is sort of doing a take on the opening of the book while we were looking at the Mataba virus, which, by the way, makes you poop. Let's not forget. <laughs> but while, <laughs> while uh, we're looking at that, aliens were watching us, vast and cool and unsympathetic. And I like the description of vast and cool. Like they were listening to Miles Davis while they were watching us. He says, they regarded our planet with envious eyes and slowly, surely, drew their plans against us. I'm Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and then we get the big title, like War of the Worlds, everybody. It's like, holy shit. This ought to be great. This is Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise. Eh, but Steven Spielberg. <laughs> 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 yeah, eh, you know, it's it's the period where he was more hit and miss than hit. Let, let me also, I just want to go on the record and say, look, Independence Day is a terrible film. But in its day, it was a pretty good popcorn movie. It doesn't hold up well over time at all. And it's a real dopey man versus aliens motion picture. But it kind of does War of the Worlds better than this version of War of the Worlds, in my opinion. Well, it's certainly more entertaining. Yeah, but sorry, but the, the ending of this film, the aliens die of a virus, as noted in the introduction. That's how they die in Independence Day. But in this movie and the original film, and I'm assuming the book because I've never read it, the aliens all die with a achoo, ack, thunk. Yeah. And it's really anticlimactic as a motion picture. Yes, all, all three versions in the same way with, you know, human virus killing the aliens. But what makes, I think, the original or the 50s film more interesting is the lead up to that feels way more apocalyptic and way more dour. Like, the end of that movie is a real downer up until the point where it's like, oh shit, they all died? Oh fuck, thank God. You know, whereas this one is more like, it feels like the movie just kind of farts to a conclusion. <laughs> it's interesting that Steven Spielberg, of all people, was like, hey, I want to remake, as you pointed out in the intro, you know, I want to remake this classic sci-fi film that's generally regarded as one of the great pieces of science fiction entertainment, not just movies just in general like if you ever saw the original war of the worlds you don't forget those martian war machines like they're i i still think they're super cool i wish i had one <laughs> i'm glad you don't i didn't mean a working one but now that you say it there are a couple of michigan gridlocks i'd probably take care of <laughs> i also want to go on record again and say that i really like tom cruise when he's playing an asshole and i despise him when he is trying to play a lovable character and this movie he is is 100% asshole. Yes. You may think he's trying to play likable, but stick with us, loyal Pick 6 Movies listeners, and we will prove you otherwise. Uh, I mean, I don't think it takes that much arm twisting on Cruz being a real dickhead in this movie. He throws that toothy smile around and tries to be charming, and he's just an awful person. Dude, the introduction of this character uh -huh. is he works at a shipyard. He, he, he's one of the guys who like runs the crane, which by the way, on rewatching this movie, I was like, oh, does that come back? Does, is that like a skill that he needs? Nah, don't worry about it. But he works at this shipyard, working this big crane, and he gets exactly one of those crates off a boat and into place. 
And he's like, yep, time for a Union 5, y'all. Yeah, but one thing you gotta love about Tom Cruise is that he's like this American Jackie Chan. He will do every stunt in a film that the insurance company will allow. And the camera will 100% let you know this is Tom Cruise doing the stunt with as many close-ups as possible. And in this scene where we see him working as a longshoreman operating this crane, you see Tom Cruise and he's in the like cockpit or whatever this crane and he's using the little joysticks and moving around cargo containers and it's like, hey, audience see this is really tom cruise doing day labor right but as soon as he's done with that and and is like taken off for the day his boss is like hey tom cruise like can you hang around for a little bit because you know billy is hung over or whatever and we really got a lot of work to do it'd be a real big hand if you wouldn't mind just hanging out his boss says i need you to come back at four i got half a career coming in and look tom cruise that's not racist by the way if anything it's geographic hyperbole look i got a vietnamese half-breed grandkid i can't be racist tom cruise come on help me out here he tells him he says it's he says it's my weekend to watch the kids i'm divorced and like most divorced parents in movies one of my kids hates me and the other one's trying to make everything all better and then the foreman says you know what your problem is tom cruise and tom cruise says no but i know a couple of women who could tell you and i'm like yeah let's start with katie holmes nicole kidman penelope cruz heather locklear mimi rogers melissa gilbert did you remember he dated melissa gilbert from little house on the prairie really I I did not remember that. What do you think was stranger? The dinner conversation between Melissa Gilbert and Tom Cruise or the sex between Melissa Gilbert and Tom Cruise? Probably the latter, just because you know a short guy like that is trying to do all kinds of stuff to make up for his diminutive stature. Like, hey, I'll suspend from the ceiling, drop down on you. You know, like, (laughs) I call it the mission possible. So we cut to our first real asshole move of many asshole moves by our movie's hero slash asshole. And he's driving this vintage Mustang and he comes drifting around the street corners in this neighborhood, just screeching tires in the middle of the day, like an A-class asshole does. Look, first of all, the Mustang is the car of the asshole. (laughs) If you see someone in a Mustang, there is an 83% chance that guy's a real dickhead. And if it's a lady, she's married to a dickhead. You know, the only time this type of driving is acceptable is when you're being pursued by no less than three police cars, like lights flash and sirens blaring, if permissible. Right. You maybe have like like an officer's hanging out the passenger side of the cruiser, just taking shots at the car in question. Then you're like, you know what? Boy, that guy in the mustang that asshole's probably going to jail you need christy swanson in the passenger seat and flea and anthony keat is chasing after you to to get away with that (laughs) why is tom cruise in such a hurry he's late to his house to pick up his kids from his ex-wife i mean clearly this is a work of fiction no divorced dad in the history of ever has broken basic traffic laws to get to their house to pick up their kids for the weekend hell in the santa claus the hero of that movie he took the long way home on christmas eve to pick up his kid yeah no that's a move i can relate to (laughs) yeah you're absolutely right it kind of undercuts the fact that he's a giant jerk and doesn't seem to give a shit about his kids as seen in the bedroom uh we'll get to in a moment but he shows up naturally late to his own place Mm -hmm. where his wife and her new boy toy are there to just drop off the kids Mm -hmm. and immediately she's like you're late and he was like hey pretty nice suv you got here buddy just ignores all this shit and his kids are like fuck do we really have to do this do we have to go with him and the mother's just like yeah you gotta i mean like 
me and your and new dad have a weekend getaway plan so i'm afraid we have to leave you with this sketchy at best deadbeat father of yours and tom cruise is a really good actor in certain roles now playing a father in a movie is not one of those roles tom cruise plays this character like he's an estranged uncle that's got a gambling habit that's mostly under control mostly <laughs> right i mean he's still playing the pony yeah that doesn't count but he's not doing he's not doing baseball no anymore. no 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 his son robbie who's probably around what 15 16 years old he pops out of the suv and he's got his headphones on and he gives his dad this like real fuck you look and then the daughter rachel she gets out and she walks over and she says hello father and she puts her arm around Tom Cruise in what one could describe as an insincere embrace. It's certainly nowhere near what you would call a hug or, hell, even an expression of basic, positive, physical, human emotion. Yeah, it textbook going through the motions. If you've never seen this movie, by the way, the older brother, Robbie, is basically the big brother from E.T. And the daughter is basically Drew Barrymore from E.T. Yeah, uh, Dakota Fanning in particular is, doesn't she have like rainbow tights or something on? And She is so riddled with ham-fisted character traits from this overly colorful costume to her personality to just everything she's got this purple camouflage vest on that has this lavender fur collar and this rainbow bright striped long sleeve shirt and she's got pink barrettes in her hair and i was surprised she wasn't rolling around on skates and constantly using a catchphrase like who do you think you are throughout the whole film and when she showed up there should have been an audience applause uh <laughs> it is that level of of kind of smart and also one of those kids in a movie that's just way too smart to be a kid yeah that's kind of Spielberg's stock and trade that overly wise child yeah and and the, seeing the world through the child's eyes but it's also an adult's view and it, it's a little weird it, it's one of the things that like I like Spielberg when he's doing grown-up stuff like Close Encounters I think is a great example of that where the only kid you really have in the movie are children who are horrified by what their father is doing to their lawn <laughs> and the one kid who gets sucked away by aliens and that's all the kids you need one thing we didn't mention is that Tom Cruise's ex-wife is uh, really preggers by her uh, her new fella. And so that yeah, somebody getting the job done, Chad. <laughs> Finally, you know what I'm saying? Rachel, the daughter, she goes over to grab her luggage, but she's kind of struggling to get it out. And so, of course, new dad and ex dad, Tom Cruise, they fight over who's going to get to help this little girl with their luggage. I'm kidding. Neither of these men do anything. And the pregnant ex wife steps in and says, I'll grab the luggage, you fucking assholes. <laughs> she's like, boy, I can sure pick them, can I? She's just dragging them up the stairs. And Tom Cruise, in his defense, does say to his ex wife rachel said she could get her own luggage i mean i didn't need to help her out plus i've got tiny little arms do you really expect me to pick up a child's suitcase sure i might be able to hide in it now we're talking but pick it up and take it inside that's crazy i live in a shoe <laughs> didn't you see <laughs> so they go inside and tom cruise has this like v8 leftover prop from days of thunder in his living room dude he's got a pinball machine in his house i love this guy he's an asshole and he's got a pinball machine right and working on an engine <laughs> while he's watching reruns of sanford and Sun with at a minimum of two empty beers on the, on the table. He's like, oh, yeah, that's going to be gone next week. Don't worry about it, none. And then immediately his wife. Ex-wife. Uh, yeah, right. His ex-wife, <laughs> understandably, is just checking shit out of like, oh, my God, what am I leaving my children in? She checks the, the fridge and is like, hey, the, your milk's sour. She smells the milk. Yeah. She takes it and smells it. You know what? I got two words for you, ex-Mrs. Tom Cruise. Go fuck yourself. 
<laughs> right. But she can't trust him to make a single good decision for her children. No. This is one of the first big flaws with this movie. Why are you leaving him w- with this man in the first place? Is it just court mandate? And if so, why don't you just say the only reason these children are here is because I'm legally obligated to bring them here. Mm-hmm. After she checks out all the fridge and sees a, there's no room at the end in there, she goes upstairs and sees his bedroom, which looks like a mess. Dude, it's a bed that was recently fucked in. Right. These covers and pillows are disheveled in a way that says things have happened in here that are illegal in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, both Carolinas, and most counties in Utah. Right. You can't not sleep in the wet spot on this mattress. <laughs> And then right next door to the fuck room is the kid's bedroom, Mm -hmm. which is one bedroom for the 15-year-old and, what, 7-year-old or whatever? nine or 10 or something. However old kids get. I don't know. They're expected to share a room. And even the the mother is like, hey, don't you think they need their own space? And he's like, what? You want one of them to sleep in the fuck bed with me? If you expect them to be able to get up of their own power after getting sealed to that thing by the Gorilla Glue that is my spunk, then I doff my cap to you, milady. I kind of took what his ex-wife said. Aren't they a little old to be sharing a room? I translated that to mean Robbie masturbates at night and Rachel tells her therapist about it every single session, every single week. <laughs> right. Ro- Robbie's painting the walls right now. He's that age. <laughs> his ex-wife says, also, Robbie has a paper due on the French occupation of Algeria and it's due Monday. Which is the first mention of kind of the recurring theme of this movie of occupation and refugees you know if you, you gotta write a paper on that easy a bo you watch the battle of algiers you copy everything you saw down done and done yeah. <laughs> by the way a far superior film and i would like to be watching the battle of algiers right now his ex-wife says all right so i'm off hugs and kisses children she says hey tom cruise you can call my cell phone because uh, we're on our way to boston to visit my parents and his ex-wife heads out the door and tom cruise stops her and he says hey ex-wife that pregnant thing looks uh Looks pretty good on you. And I'm like, I think he's into prego porn. Oh, definitely. Either that or feeder porn. His ex-wife, she takes this as a compliment because she doesn't know about prego porn on the internet yet and uh, how much of an addiction Tom Cruise has to it. And so she starts to leave the townhouse and Tom Cruise says, hey, tell your mom that Tom Cruise sends his love and kisses. And I'm like, ooh, he might be into granny porn. She laughs at it as as if to say like, you know, my mother thinks you're a piece of shit. There's no way I would mention that I ever saw you. <laughs> I told her I left the children at a dog kennel. <laughs> yeah. And she said, thank God. You didn't leave them with that fucking asshole, Tom Cruise. At least there will be bowls of water. (laughs) They run a far substantially less chance of getting an STD. (laughs) And getting a bath, probably. (laughs) They come away with a healthy coat. Yeah. (laughs) Mix some eggs in with their kibble. Sure. We cut to a news report where I'm sure some local newscaster and some major media market uh, tells us that 52 million people in the Ukraine lost power because of a freakish lightning storm. And if the news something a freakish lightning storm of catastrophic proportion as they do in this particular broadcast i'm all ears because i'm fully expecting this to be a kratos level or percy jackson-esque lightning bolt assault on the people of earth right because the next report 
like as he's flipping through the channels is like, hey, dummy, didn't you hear that thing about the Ukraine? EMPs are knocking power out all over. And he's just like, well, fuck this. TV's boring today. Yeah, that's Robbie. It's not the, the dad. The dad wouldn't be watching that at all. Oh, right. Because Tom Cruise rolls through at this point and just throws a baseball glove on his son's stomach. Mm-hmm. Is like, hey, let's go throw the old pigskin around, Robbie. It's uh, it's the the horse hide. Pigskin is a football. Yeah, whatever. <clears throat> did you ever did you ever play catch with your dad, Bo? Oh Jesus, no. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't either. Also, before the record, I don't think I've ever really played catch with my son, unless you count throwing an Xbox controller and shouting catch. In our house, it was mostly tiptoeing around during the daylight hours because you knew that hangover was going to cause some real anger issues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Saturday, 2 p.m. Shh. I used to play catch with my dad. I would go get a beer for him and I would walk down and say, hey, dad, catch. And then I would hide under my bed. <laughs> yeah. The only time my father was useful was that time I got my head stuck in the railings at the pool. And I suppose his initial sperm donation. Other than that, everything's questionable. We cut to outside and Tom Cruise is wearing his Yankees hat and his son dons a Red Sox hat. And apparently there's some sort of rivalry between the Yankees of New York and the Red Sox of Boston. So Tom Cruise and Robbie, they start playing the most passive aggressive version of catch ever captured on film. And it's here that Robbie calls his father by his first name, Ray, over the sake of this podcast, Tom Cruise. And, you know, in To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch is referred to as Atticus by his children, Scout and Jim. And one can conjecture as to the author Harper Lee's decision to do this. Perhaps it was because Atticus is a very unconventional man who raised his children in a very unconventional way. Or perhaps it is to show a father wanting his children to feel that they are his equal. Or maybe Scout and Jim felt that Atticus was a shitheel father who was never there for them or their mom and that he genuinely sucked at everything he did, said, or thought. Yeah, less the the last (laughs) option, uh, given how often jim and scout were like say atticus we're gonna come find you at your office so we can watch that terrible trial (laughs) in fairness they snuck in right i only know that because i (laughs) reread to kill a mockingbird this very year so in our film robbie and tom cruise they're throwing baseball and each time that they throw the ball they put a little more stank on it each time (laughs) yeah that's how they put it cruise is like all right Back up, Robbie. I'm putting some stank on this one. Tom Cruise says, hey, Robbie, you've got that report due on Monday. And Robbie says, oh, yeah, I gotta, I'll got i just type it up. And Tom Cruise says, that's bullshit. And then Robbie says, what do you know, Tom Cruise? And then Tom Cruise, he uses this con man line of, uh, well, you know, between me and my brother, we know everything. And it's here we, the audience see that younger sister Rachel is also outside and she is sitting on some like rusty lawn furniture surrounded by a garden of weeds. And Rachel says, oh yeah, you know everything? What's the capital of Australia? And Tom Cruise says, uh, that's one of the things my brother knows. And uh, I want to ask you about, Bo, do you know the capital of Australia? Is it Queensland? No, it's Canberra is the oh, federal okay. capital of Commonwealth of Australia. Yeah. I, I did not know that. No. Well, uh, Tom Cruise is my brother. Oh, well. <laughs> i can't i can't believe we've never been introduced oh i can so after this little joke that has clearly been used before Mm -hmm. it's my equivalent of pull my finger something it's just your go-to right it's my equivalent of pull bo's finger robbie is like i hope you don't mind phone laugh at that ray and cruz is like look just do your fucking report because we send you to a fancy school yeah he goes to private school right (laughs) but then 
Robbie whips this little nugget out where he's like, I believe mom and new dad pay for that, not you, Ray. And then Tom Cruise hums this baseball at this fucking kid's head. <laughs> like, like he's trying to get into the majors. And Robbie ducks out of the way and it just goes through his window at roughly 80 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So he was either A, trying to crack his son's head to the point that a hospital trip was not just likely, it was going to be inevitable if this thing had made contact. And during this exchange, Robbie says, why are you such an asshole? And the dad says, why are you such a dick? And I'm like, your daughter is right there. She's hearing this back and forth between the person who protects her and Tom Cruise. Well, and so Robbie ends up storming off after the baseball goes through the window. And like this is one of those bull about my best friend he's a warm-hearted person who loved you till the year i think more appropriately would be a cats in a cradle and a silver spoon i was thinking basically you just put on any everclear album and that'll do yeah you're right <laughs> pretty much any and all everclear music is about how much alex kizraki is something like that hated his father that's why i liked him so much i was like i get that then we get this shitty kid, uh, Rachel, telling him, like, well, that's not how to get through to him, Ray. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, what are you, my fucking mother? Dude, he is a professional asshole in this movie. Dude, the kid trying to help him is just like, you know what? How about you keep your fucking mouth shut and mind your own fucking business, kid? At this point in the film, I was sitting there thinking, Tom Cruise is so miscast in this motion picture. Who would be better? And the immediate person that came to my mind was Danny McBride. Because <laughs> Tom Cruise's daughter says, where are you going now? And Tom Cruise just looks at her and he's like, what the fuck do you know? I'm going inside. I got to sleep. I work for a living. Unlike a bunch of layabout, deadbeat, do-nothing shitbags, I'm not going to mention their names, but it begins with R and ends with Abby and Achel. So just order some food from somewhere. Get something to eat. Shut the hell up. Yeah. Like, hey, you've got nothing in your fridge as we've already established. What, what are we, your children, going to eat? And he's like, I don't know. Order some food and shit. I opened up the fridge and there was a mason jar and on the outside was a post-it that said, clean pee. What is that? It ain't yours. That's what it is. Keep your fucking hands off of it. It's, a, it's an experiment I'm doing. <laughs> it's called, how long can I keep pajamas a longshoreman? <laughs> yeah. I need to tape a baggie of that to the inside of my thigh tomorrow. We got random testing. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Tom Cruise goes upstairs and takes off his shirt as his contract requires in every Tom Cruise movie. And he just lays down atop his semen and sex juice stained bed sheets and he just falls asleep in the middle of the day. Yeah. Is this 4 p.m.? <laughs> like, what time are you going to bed? Was he drunk at work? Because that's a non-zero possibility as well. Look, I've been been throwing back stove pops all day. You can't expect me to stay up with you two nerds. Then the camera pans across the coffee table, and we see that Rachel has ordered health food from a restaurant called John's Natural Foods. And their tagline on their menu is, a fresh taste in healthy living. I'm like, how is this business even in their neighborhood? <laughs> right. <laughs> a neighborhood that seems to be like everyone has a glass of used motor oil with dinner every night. It looks like the neighborhood that Marty McFly went back to in the second back to the future film right when biff is running shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and when he wakes up the kids are like watching cartoons flipping through channels and, <laughs> and there are news reports they're like hey 
Remember when we talked about all those EMPs? Well, now there are widespread electrical storms. Shit is getting real out there, y'all. <laughs> and he's just like, fuck that. I'm going to go to the city hall protest. Tom Cruise sits down and he looks a little hungover, but it's probably like you said, like four or five o'clock. And he takes a piece of pita bread and slops it in some hummus and throws it in his mouth. And his reaction is like, he just put a piece of cat shit on his lips. And it's like this, what in the fuck is this? This is disgusting. Why would you put this in front of me and trick me into eating it? And she's like, it's health food, dad. And he's just like, this is bullshit. And where's that other guy? What did you call him? My son? And Rachel says, oh yeah, he took your car and left. And Tom Cruise's reaction is so watered down. Maybe you could argue that he's in shock that his son took his prized possession Mustang and that perhaps he is a father who is clearly comfortable with swearing around his children. But because of this thunderstruck moment, he is incapable of expressing his anger in words because he is surprisingly restrained with the notable absence of any word beginning with but not limited to the letters f d a c g m and p (laughs) nice i kind of took it as a grudging respect of like stole his old man's car huh well finally something i can i can relate to (laughs) said that boston red sox bullshit (laughs) and (laughs) so he goes outside to look for his shitty kid and there are a bunch of people all looking the other way in the street it's kind of like the the independence day bit of will smith going outside and seeing a bunch of people staring at something only instead of a cool ass mothership uh hovering over los angeles what all the people are looking at is just a big storm coming yeah it's it's a big charcoal gray cloud that looks like a big donut in the sky and it's got a white and yellow center and tom cruise he then runs into his backyard and the wind is really beginning to blow and it's clear the kind of sky that kills people so all the neighbors pour out and they to their backyards and they all gawk upwards, jaws slacked. And then Tom Cruise's neighbor, it's Holly Flax, who would later go on to marry Michael Scott on the NBC sitcom The Office. Well, she's standing there with a baby in her arms, which makes her even more vulnerable in this scene of impending doom. And then Tom Cruise says, shit, that is weird. The wind is blowing toward the storm. That is fucking crazy. And it's just like, how is that weird? Wind can blow any which way during a storm. I have survived multiple hurricanes, multiple tornado-filled storms. This dummy doesn't know a weather vane from a like a window pane when it comes to meteorology. It's just a fucking stupid comment. Well, his first reaction naturally is like, you know who'd love to see this shit? Rachel, get your ass out here and see some cool shit. Quit reading a book, you nerd. This is the kind of dad that when they're all just hanging out in the backyard would toss lit firecrackers (laughs) at these kids. Just, hey, keeping your own toes. Hot foot. So he drags Dakota Fanning out to the yard and like all the wind stops and then lightning starts flashing and his daughter Rachel is like, I want to go inside, father. Gone then. If you're too scared, you baby. Is that how your mama raises you? And that Tim that she's hanging out with? What does he say about me? I'll kick his ass. You tell him anytime he wants it, he knows where to find me. I will fight him anytime, anywhere. And also get back out here. It's like the 4th of July. Look at all this lightning and shit. It's the coolest thing you're ever going to see, you stupid kid rachel says um i don't want to go back in the house by myself you see i'm a child and i'm terrified and then lightning just tattoos nearby tom cruise and, and cruise says shit this is fun ain't it and rachel rightfully so says no dad it isn't i'm terrified 
I am a child. You are a terrible father, which makes this doubly terrifying. And then Tom Cruise says, shit, man, this is like the 4th of July. Oh, say, can you see Dude. by the dawn's earthly fight? Where, where are y'all going? <laughs> when he starts de- singing the Star Spangled Banner <laughs> in this movie, I was like, this is a little much, even for this movie, which does nothing <laughs> subtly ever. <laughs> But this is quite something. They end up hiding under the table together when another lightning strike comes down. He's like, oh, shit, guess you're right, little girl. (laughs) (laughs) And they run back inside to hide under the table. Little girl. (laughs) And then uh, she's like, where's Robin? He's like, oh, shit, I knew I was going outside to look for something, but I forgot. My Mustang and that other kid, your friend. (laughs) You know, that dude you came with, are you too hooked up or what? He seemed kind of over you. I don't know. I'm Like, I'm not here to judge, man. I mean, your life is your life. But I'm just saying, I think you could do better. You could clean up in, in middle school. That seems like high school action, man. I don't know that you want any part of that yet. Maybe you do. I don't know. You want a beer? But he's a real foot off the pedal kind of dad, which I, I appreciate. <laughs> Then finally, after a couple of minutes of hiding under the table, he's like, you know what? I better go check out and see where that kid is. Uh, You stay here, little girl. I'll be back in a few. And then he notices that his phone, uh, the watch, and the electricity are all out at the same time. Shit, I think I didn't pay the bill again. The phone bill, the electrical bill, my watch bill. (laughs) And when he goes outside, his neighbor's like, I don't know what's going on over here, Robbie. All the cars have stopped. Did you pay your watch bill? Shit. Did you pay your car bill? I didn't pay my, look, I don't, I don't pay my car bill at all. I park it about three blocks away and they never know where to look for that shit. I've got like 15 license plates and I just trade them out every two, three days. You would be surprised how easy it is to file off and replace a VIN number. I can show you. I got an engine in my, in my living room right now. I'm filing that some bitch off. <laughs> Robbie, it turns out, is back. He's like, hey, me and another kid were watching the lightning hit the ground, and then this hole opened up. Uh-huh. And then Cruz is like, huh, I'll tell you what, why don't you go inside with that little girl that I was playing with in the backyard? I'm going to go check your shit out, because it sounds cool as fuck. And <laughs> then he's like, oh, by the way, you ever steal my car again? Pro move, by the way. I respect it, but I will fucking call the cops. And you know, for a man like me to call the cops, it has to be serious. <laughs> Tom Cruise runs off and he runs past this mechanic named Manny and Manny and this other guy, they're trying to fix this minivan and Manny says, Hey, Tom Cruise, I'm working on this year minivan. It's all bada bing, bada boom. And Tom Cruise says, shit, man, try replacing the solenoid or the petcock or the the manifold mainframe. I don't know anything about cars. (laughs) Right. But it seems to register with Manny. Who's like, yeah, I told you it was the solenoid. These streets are just littered with stalled cars. And Tom Cruise makes his way to this hole in the ground, along with a bunch of irresponsible people who are prone to making poor decisions in their own lives. And Tom Cruise muscles his way through this crowd of about like 100 folks to get right beside the lightning bolt hole. Yeah, he goes through their legs and under their feet. Yeah, but well, he's the star of the movie. He's got to be up yeah. front. Then the ground just starts to rumble and crack, and these onlookers don't really react at all. And then the ground begins to split and start to fall apart. And Tom Cruise is watching this like, man, this shit is cool. It's like <laughs> yeah. the ground is alive. It is totally badass. It's like some kind of quake in the earth. Like, I, I don't know what you'd call that. Maybe like a, 
a ground trampoline or something and glass is shattering everywhere. I'll be goddamned if that church didn't break in half. I love when the church breaks in half because the, the ground splits and goes over to the nearby buildings and the front of the church, like the brick splits on the side and the front facing of it just dislodges from the front part of the whole building. And then you see this front part of the church just pull away and it's just slowly moving down the street and i can't really make out the license number but um uh it's pulling a small church so really any blue chevy pulling a small church i figure yeah that'd probably be the one yeah also if you open it up there's all the people chad i really enjoyed the slow destruction not of the church it's really impressive but it builds slowly during this scene and when you see the steeple of this church fall onto the street it's then punctuated by the intersection of the roads belching up this bubble of asphalt and dirt and fire just leaving this gaping hole in the ground that starts sucking in cars one by one and this is when everybody finally starts to run for their lives except for tom cruise who is always on the cusp of getting killed and he keeps hiding behind cars and buildings to watch what's going on again because he's a star of our movie and from the smoke surrounding this hole a car is just puked out up into the air and crashes on top of another stalled vehicle in the street and then this three-legged creature comes out of the hole and it turns out that it's attached to this massive legion of doom headquarters alien ship that comes out of the ground and all of these curious onlookers but they just stand around looking at this thing like it's a circus parade raid making its way to the town square for their enjoyment no one is freaking the hell out dude given the response by certain segments of this population during this covid thing uh-huh. this does not surprise me in the least <laughs> I, I once upon a time i would have been like nobody would do that and after after seeing what i have seen i'm like yeah there's about half the people that would do that but this is a post 9-11 movie and you kind of have to keep that in mind and we'll probably touch on it a little bit later but even if we're in a world where 9-11 never happened these people would be screaming and running for their lives instead everybody's just like hey let's see what's uh what's going on here hun <laughs> You know, yeah. this isn't an everyday kind of thing, baby. We just, you know, this because this is history. We're watching history here. And this big, what I, I will refer to, uh, for lack of a better term, as the Martian death machines, kind of trumpets. It's this. Yeah, it's the last note from Close Encounters or the first note from Jaws. <laughs> yeah. And then it just shits a bunch of powder out of it. Oh my God. It is this wet liquid shit that blows out on the street below. And it is a lot of alien diarrhea goes everywhere. It is the morning shit of an ancient race. <laughs> and, and I like it. It's been buried under the earth, like stretching your legs. Like, look, I just got to let it happen. <laughs> right. Like, Hey, first one's always the best. Am I right, everybody? All right, let's uh, let's get to some killing. And then the death ray starts blasting out of this thing. What it does is it basically disintegrates, I suppose, organic matter, or like it doesn't really make sense why it leaves clothes behind, but it does. And I understand that because 
this movie is operating on a heavily thematic level that this is representative of the gas chambers of World War II where the people were were destroyed but what was left behind were clothes and shoes and jewelry and shit like that. You think it left their underwear intact? I I kept looking for like bras and panties and shit because I'm a little bit of a weirdo and also because like where's all the, to your point, like where are the skivvies? Did all these people just go all natural except for, you know, chinos and a t shirt you think there were extra poop stains in their underwear where people got so scared that they poo pooed themselves <laughs> right if they didn't the aliens sure shit for them <laughs> you know for an advanced alien race zapping these humans one by one seems incredibly inefficient right i mean at least with the original one it was like well they have the death ray but they also have the wing lasers that blow the shit out of everything. Yeah, there was some scattershot and then there was some sniper-based firing that was happening off of the wings. And this one, it's just one by one, you're picking them off. But, you know, maybe they're, you know, like they're hunting for sport. They're not just doing it to be jerk. Yeah, right. Like, if you don't enjoy what you do, then why do it? Did you expect Tom Cruise in the scene to maybe start handing out copies of Dianetics? Like, these, <laughs> like, shit, look, man, these aliens are friends. Okay, everyone? That is Xeno up there. I know this guy. We're buddies. Hold on these two cans and see what happens. Right. Oh, shit, man. You are ate up with metachlorians. Do you want to take a personality test? It takes like 15 minutes and it'll change your life. (laughs) I'll tell you what. where, Where are you going? You get to level three, I guarantee you, you're going to be on a network television show. That's God's honest truth. Well, Xenu, but you know what I mean. Tom Cruise runs away as the aliens are blasting people left and right. And he's like, hey, motherfuckers, go serpentine. They can't hit you like that. They're probably part alligator, which is why this shit won't work on them, bro. Run, go, go. Right. Alan Arkin is just weaving through the road. But here we get to see our first classic Tom Cruise sprint um, as the aliens start blowing up buildings and they're filling the streets with drifting jackets and socks and blouses and no panties, as Bo observed. And about this time, Tom Cruise runs around the side of the building to keep watching what's going on and he sees a father run by with his small daughter in his arms protecting her and tom cruise has this look that says man shit i'm forgetting something really important what should i be doing now sleeping no drinking getting some leg no damn that's not it something about my ex-wife she was screaming about something what was it you know good son of a bitch make sure you look after our kids Damn, I got to get home. <laughs> yeah, so he does. He, he books ass home. And when he gets inside, he is just in shock over what he has just witnessed. He smacks his daughter when she touches his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't think that was about the aliens. I think that was more of a, hey, get off me. You want fight? When he goes to the mirror and he looks in and he sees the face of Dorian Gray staring back. And Tom Cruise's hair is all gray and his face is covered in the ashes of all of the people that were burned up on the city streets. And Tom Cruise just freaks out and he starts shaking out all of the corpse ashes from his head until he's young again and then tom cruise just looks in the mirror and he's like there you are you beautiful sexy bastard (laughs) you beautiful son of a bitch don't you go getting old on me (laughs) yeah and once he's satisfied that he's you know good enough to meet some chicks fuck man that was close he looks at his kids and he's like hey little girl and the other one i need you to get all your shit together we are leaving this house in 60 seconds get all the food out of that fridge yes i mean the milk too get the suitcases you brought and let's fucking go leave the mason jar of piss i'll come back for that later i'm gonna run upstairs get my gun a couple of hooters for the road if you know what i mean and then we are gone dude 
he pulls this gun out of a box that has a combination lock on it. And I mean, there is no way that this character has his gun locked up. Dude, that is some Hollywood liberal bullshit. I'm guessing that this character has a gun under the bed, one tucked between the mattress and the box springs, two in his sock drawer, and he's got another one taped up behind the toilet just because he's a big fan of The Godfather. I will go as far as he has a gun safe, but remembering the combination? No, sir. Oh shit, 6969, no. 1551, no. It's 0000, and it's never turned past that. My password on everything is password. Uh, yeah, anyway, so he grabs this gun from the bedroom, safety off, loaded, and then he and the kids make their way down the street with boxes of shit and whatever, and he loads them in the minivan that Manny was repairing earlier, the one that he was like, hey, did you check the solenoid? And he's clearly putting his shit in this van. And Manny is like, hey, I got to tell you, Tom Cruise, that solenoid was a trick. Uh, Hey, uh, what are you doing with that van? And uh, I got a business to run here, pal. And Tom Cruise is like, Manny, you need to get the fuck in this car right now or you are going to die, my man. Hey, look, Tom Cruise, this is a 1988 Dodge Caravan. I don't have $1,800 to pay to replace this. You can't just take this car on your own. And Tom Cruise is like, look, motherfucker, get in the car or you're going to die. It is that fucking simple and at this point rachel starts doing her signature move of screaming at the top of her lungs as she looks out the back of the car and sees kodos and krang ticking people off one by one with their laser beams and they're just like haha foolish humans run run as fast as you can you can't escape me i've got laser beam hands uh manny never gets in or he gets zapped here right yeah he's gone as they're driving off and then tom cruise looks at his kids and he goes hey you two get down i gotta drive this car like steve mcqueen and we need the audience to not call bullshit as to why they don't see your heads popping up with me looking all badass driving this minivan and to remind us all that this is in fact a 9-11 movie rachel is like oh my god is it the terrorists and it's like oh right that was (laughs) what we were freaked out about before we were freaked out about the other thing are they from iraq or afghanistan which one should we not be trying to fight uh maybe pakistan um (laughs) yeah he should have laid off that a long time ago yes Mm -hmm. just like isil we know okay we get it you're you're very smart (laughs) we get it so (laughs) tom cruise is is hitting the highways weaving dangerously through all this stop traffic uh with all the kids heads down so we don't know that they're not there and we get some epic destruction of this city which i want to say it's really commonplace in movies these days especially with all of the success of the marvel films that when you see these type of epic special effects they just aren't that special i truly was more impressed with the scene of the church falling down and the road breaking but i'm kind of a minimalist and i'm struggling with my own sense of spirituality and place in the universe so it kind of worked on a few levels for me i i get that yeah it, it does feel like a lot of noise and a lot of this movie when it gets to those scenes uh which doesn't happen a lot from here on thankfully Mm -hmm. but i and i think you're right i think it's just a matter of every movie does that now that in at the end of every action film an entire city is destroyed and there's only so many times you can see that before you're like okay i get it like all the buildings fell great whatever but as dakota fanning or rachel is freaking out robbie talks her down by saying like you're in your safe space uh this is rachel's safe space she starts to calm and then robbie asks tom cruise what he knows and he's like where did these people come from and and tom cruise is like i don't know man this ain't normal terrorists or nothing man this ain't they didn't hijack no planes or some bullshit like that 
They came from outer fucking space, man. Look, motherfucker, it was a machine that came out of the belly of Earth. I saw it with my own two goddamn eyes. You know, just shut up for a fucking minute, Robbie. What are you doing dating a girl this young anyway? You seem a little old to be robbing the cradle, weirdo. I'll tell you what, I gotta pop a beer. Hold the gun for a second while I open this, Rody. Rachel goes into post-freakout mode, and she just starts screaming, I want mom. I want mom. I want mom. And then this whole crescendos until she hits this high-pitched, single-syllable note of, that truly should have just shattered this caravan's front windshield. And then Tom Cruise and their family, they finally make their way to his ex-wife's house that Tim clearly paid. And there's nobody there because the ex-wife and Tim went to Boston. And this is where these kids live, right? This is their home because they don't live with Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is their really nice house. Okay. Because Rachel goes inside the house and she runs upstairs to find nobody. And she comes downstairs and she asks her brother and her father, is she dead? And I'm like, I pity the guy she ends up marrying because can you imagine trying to untangle that mess of Christmas lights that are balled up inside her skull? Oh, it only gets worse. Yeah. By the end of this movie, the fact that she's not already cutting herself is a real win for this character. Who do you think is more fucked up? Her by the end of this movie or Hawkeye Pierce in that MASH finale. Uh, I'll, honestly, Robbie is the secret most screwed up person. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, Rachel is not far behind and Hawkeye will be fine. Okay. As we saw in After MASH. All right. You know, that's a thing that I don't think people who weren't alive when that happened appreciated or could possibly appreciate of like, hey, remember the most popular television show in history up to that point? Mm-hmm. And it ends with uh, a story about a woman smothering her own child to death on a bus. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're misremembering that. Let, let me put it in modern parlance for younger listeners. Oh, please. Imagine if the series finale of Friends had Chandler taking a pillow and suffocating Rachel's baby to death. Yeah. Because that's what happened on <laughs> the finale of MASH, that Hawkeye strangled a child to death. Yeah, if you wanna if you wanna watch it, it's a great episode. It's called Goodbye Farewell and What the Fuck? <laughs> the most viewed television program per capita ever aired in the history of American television. Yeah, I mean it was fantastic, but holy shit. Uh, but so Tom Cruise, he he comes in the house and he's got that box of food that he told Robbie to load up back at his place. And in the box, it is inventoried as bran flakes, ketchup, mustard, barbecue sauce, and a half bottle of wishbone vinaigrette dressing. And Tom Cruise says, way to go. You fucking stupid. This is a bunch of bullshit. We can't eat this without like some meat or fortune cookies to put it on. What the fuck is wrong with you? And they're like, this is all that was in your fridge. Dummy. He's like, all right, fine. Here's some bread and we're going to play a little card game. It's called eat the goddamn bread. And he just starts flipping bread around. And then he's like, all right, we're going to have some motherfucking peanut butter sandwiches. Delicious. And Rachel says, I'm allergic to peanut butter. What the fuck? Since when? (laughs) Right. How long you had this allergy? And she's like, birth. And he goes, eat the motherfucking bread then. He is literally feeding her something that could kill her. But he's just had it. Like, he is way more pissed than they are that his ex-wife and her husband are not there. He gets so angry, he throws an open-faced peanut butter sandwich at the window in the kitchen. And he just smacks on there and sticks. Everybody just calm down. Now, responsible adults are going to be back here tomorrow. (laughs) Until then, we can play some Nintendo, stay up as late as we want. 
and then we're going to get some sleep. A.K.A. pass out, because I am drinking, y'all. Spielberg uses reflections a lot in this movie to shoot certain scenes, and sometimes it's used to see both the character in the shot and their reaction to events that are going on in front of them. So we as the audience, we can see both the foreground and the background response at the same time. And in this particular shot, you see Tom Cruise, and it's his reflection in the kitchen window as he internally is reflecting on what a piece of shit father he is to these two kids <laughs> yes <laughs> and so they go to a fancy ass basement to sleep for the night oh my god this is the greatest basement it's really nice there's a gym yes there's a really nice washer and dryer there's a play area for the kids i think there's a bumper pool table i, I thought you were gonna say bumper cars there i think there's some of those too <laughs> so while the kids are, are trying to get some sleep down there uh, Tom Cruise just sits there and like, I'm going to clean my gun. This would be cool as shit. <laughs> and sits watch over them and then immediately falls asleep or passes out. It's really dark and we hear some scratching at this basement window and we see like uh, branches tapping on the glass. And then there's this flashing of purple lights followed by this glowing light source. And we get a lot of poltergeist-esque shots of the three main characters in the dark just getting illuminated by these pulsing lights. And Rachel says, is the lightning back? And then Tom Cruise says, damn, Rachel, what is with you and all of these questions? I'm not the weather man. I don't know how fucking weather works. The only weather I even wonder about is whether or not you're going to shut your mouth for five minutes. Also, I don't think it is that. <laughs> so Rachel and Robbie kind of cling to each other instead of their father, very notably. <laughs> he's got a gun. Be well, and he's also <laughs> freaking out. And he's like, hey. Where can we go in this nice as shit house to hide from all that shit going on outside? He's like, where do we go? Where do we go now? Sweet child of mine. <laughs> they go into the sub-basement of the basement of this house. Or whatever. Like this basement has its own basement. In into the treasure room, apparently, where Smaug the dragon is hoarding his gold. As they run into this basement, there is this building of sound that gets louder and louder and the lights get brighter and brighter. And as they run into this little side room, there's this explosion that happens outside and it just blows in the windows and fire fills the basement. And our three main characters go into this small room. They slam the door shut. The screen goes black and we hear Rachel whisper, are we still alive? And the answer is no. Credits. Tom Cruise says, Rachel, will you please shut up for two minutes and let me think? I'm sick and tired of you two nagging me to death. I don't even know who the big one is. I think I owe him money or something. I mean, you try to take my car. I think he may be a repo man. <laughs> So it's the next day and Tom Cruise emerges from the sub basement and goes into the basement and it's all wrecked to hell. And then he goes up the stairs onto the main floor of the house, which has also been destroyed. And he finds the engine of an airliner resting in the living room that's on fire. Right. He's like, I bet I can take the VIN number right off this thing, man. I'm going to have the <laughs> sickest car in town. <laughs> Tom Cruise wanders outside of the house. Well, he's already outside, so he wanders away from the house at this point. There is no inside of the house at this point. It is all just a frame of a house and devastation. This might be the sequence of him coming up from the basement to find all of this devastation is probably my favorite sequence in the movie. It's really good because you don't know what it is. He doesn't know what it is, so you really experience this along with him as he discovers all of this mayhem outside. I, but I don't know if I've ever told you this. I've had a lot of jobs in my life. 
mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. But one of the jobs that I the drinking, but yes, go on. <laughs> but one of the jobs I had in my life actually allowed me the opportunity to go to Universal Studios in Hollywood, where this particular scene was filmed. And the job that I had at this time allowed me to get on an unofficial backlot tour. And this set was still there. I was with the guy, and we got out and got to walk around this set while it was still up and running. And I had totally forgotten about doing that in my life until I rewatched this film for this show. <laughs> That's a real what if that thing I just said. I know. It was very bizarre. I'm watching this with my wife and my son, and I was like, hey, I walked around that plane crash. And they were both like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, well, that happened. <laughs> yeah. I See, I don't, I have that same problem only without the spark of recollection. <laughs> the number of times people are like, hey, remember when we did this thing? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think I did that. And they're like, no, here's a picture of you in this location. And I'm like, all right, I'll take your word for it. It's not me. That looks photoshopped to <laughs> shit, but go on. But yeah, so he goes out to find this crash plane and there's a dude dragging like a big case off of the plane. Yeah, it's got like snacks or booze in it or maybe both. Fingers crossed. <laughs> right. Hey man, crack that. Up. I got a gun, man. We'll shoot it open. <laughs> <laughs> and he asked this guy like, hey, you a passenger? Hey, motherfucker i asked you a goddamn question are you a passenger and then this news reporter shows up and she just dumps a wealth of exposition on us all the exposition of the movie at once basically what she says is like giant alien ships have invaded earth they have invisible shields around them there's a bunch of ships around the world and the aliens traveled down from outer space through lightning bolts to get to their ships that were buried under earth a long time ago that's basically what it takes her about seven minutes to get to and then she says hey were you on that plane and he's like no man i went on no plane i'm here with a couple other dudes what dude where are all the bodies on this plane this movie is not r-rated that's where they are that's what it should be he should have come out and it should have been a horror show because what you get here is sort of a weird twilight zone episode (laughs) if he had stepped outside saw this crash plane and dropped his bong and went oh man there was time there was finally time the news lady and her crew they leave tom cruise he goes inside and grabs rachel and he says look rachel i'm gonna carry you out of this house all right and i don't want you to look around at any of the shit you see because there's some fucked up shit up there i gotta be honest with you what i saw up there was the coolest shit i have ever seen but i need you to keep your eyes closed otherwise your brains could explode right out your eardrums now that is science but also don't look at all the awesome shit that has happened since we went into that sub-basement. Dude, there's not a whole lot she hasn't already seen in this movie. She saw bridges and buildings blowing up around them, 18-wheelers flying through the air. How is this different to see the wreckage of an airplane? Is it just the horror of seeing the home that she lives in no more existing? All those memories, all those Christmases, gone forever. I think it's more of a, like, he can lord it over in a month from now. And he's like, man, Rachel, you remember when we saw that plane crash? Oh, shit, you didn't, because I told you to close your eyes and you did like a sucker. (laughs) You got had, Rachel. Robbie takes a gander at all of the wreckage and he just gets filled with so much rage. He wants to go fight the aliens like with his bare fist. But Robbie has a couple of good tags here where when Tom Cruise is like, what do you think you're going to do to those aliens, motherfucker? And Robbie's like, you know, when are you going to start making big decisions? Never, Ray, because that's (laughs) what it seems like. You say that shit like it's going to hurt me. And then Cruise is like, Uh, Hey, enough of that Ray bullshit. You call me dad 
or Sir, or Mr. Farrier, which is my last name that I save to say right now because it's stupid. I don't give a shit, but whatever you call me, it better have a heap and help and a goddamn respect slapped on top of it. You're I going to pull over to the side of the road, and we're going to sell this one-on-one. After I kick Rachel's ass, I'm happily going to give you the same honors, Robbie. I'll tell you what, I feel like we have turned a corner. How about you call me Ray? Rachel says, Father, I have to go to the bathroom. And here's another sign that Tom Cruise is an inexperienced dad in this movie, because when you got like a nine or 10 year old and they say they got to go to the bathroom on a road trip, you always ask, is it number one or number two? At least I did, because that certainly helps you understand your options as to where you're going to stop and find what type of equipment will be required to handle the job. (laughs) Yeah. Like if my kid tells me he's got to piss, I'm like, all right, you can go in this truck stop. If he's like, I got to shit, I'm like, I got to go to a place that I feel is going to be at least mostly semen free when it comes to the toilet seats <laughs> right the chances of crabs have to be at least 20 percent or lower uh which is a mcdonald's did i ever tell you the story about my wife and i stopping on a road trip and we were going through georgia and we pulled into a burger king she had to use the restroom and she went in and came back immediately and she said we have to go somewhere else and i was like why and she said because two bloody pads were stuck to the wall in the ladies room <laughs> So Tom Cruise is like, he pulls over to the side of the road, just kind of by this field alongside a river. And he's like, well, go on, go out in the field, take a shit, whatever you got to do. Don't don't go too far, though. I got to be able to see you. I'm not a pervert or nothing, but, you know, I'm trying to be a concerned father. You know what, on second thought, go where I can't see you. We got a court-appointed meeting to discuss visitation rights, and I don't need you mouthing off about how I insisted on watching you pop a squat in the outdoors. Get. Also, Robbie, you look totally the other way now. Now, what you two do in the privacy of your own room, that is one thing. But I do not want you getting off to her PM right now in front of me. I don't care how long you two been dating. She goes out further than uh, he originally originally intends. Then she goes to the edge of this river where you see a, uh, a body float by. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, that, the, that's some business. And then it's a bunch of bodies floating by, like the body dam <laughs> let loose. Oh, that there, that's a corpse. That's a Cummings corpse. Comes from the Cummings corpse hatchery upstream. Finest corpses in the Northeast, yes, sir. You need a corpse, you go to Cummings. Whether you're faking your death or looking to win your neighborhood's Halloween decorating contest, remember, anybody can get a body at Cummings. Come the spring, those bodies will swim back upstream to mate. (laughs) Visit Cummings Corpse Hatchery on State Road 12 near Soiling Green Packing Facility. Just look the committee of vultures circling in the sky or sniff the air for the smell of dead corpses. So Tom Cruise rushes over and he's like, oh shit, that is awesome, man. I got to cover your eyes so that I can tell you about this later. Let me ask you one question. You remember that airplane that we passed by that crash? No? Ha ha, sucker. And then covers her (laughs) eyes and then rushes back to the car. And there they see this military column coming through, you know, a bunch of Humvees and soldiers and shit. And Robbie runs alongside it and is like, hey, take me. I want to come fight. Take me. Every truck and tank that rolls by, they all go through this giant mud puddle and they repeatedly splash water all over Robbie. Talk about making a bad day worse, Bo. (laughs) Tom Cruise comes over and he's like, yo, hotshot, what do you think you're going to do? Join the army? Go fight aliens? You're not the Fresh Prince. You're not a Lando Calrissian. You're not an ice pirate. (laughs) An ice pirate. (laughs) You, you, what, you want to fight some space herpes or something? The way he, he argues his point is, look, we both know 
I suck at this. What is that little girl going to do if you leave, huh? Who's going to take care of her? Not me. I'm not up to the challenge, clearly. Look at me. I'm a fuck up. Credit where credit is due. There is a great shot here of Robbie and Rachel together talking and then Tom Cruise on the other side of the frame away from them. And there's a, a, a similar shot later in the movie where they're all together. For all this movie's faults, it is still directed by Steven Spielberg, who has directed movies I don't care for much, but even within those, there are moments that are like, God damn, that guy is good. So they hit the road again. Nobody's talking. Hey, Robbie, seeing as you got balls the size of coconuts to steal my car, why don't you drive this mobile so I can catch some Z's? And Robbie's like, I don't even have a license. And he's like, look, man, I don't need your whole fucking history. All right. I just said I need to catch some sleep. Now you get in this driver's seat and drive the fucking car. It's real fucking easy. This one makes it go. That one makes it stop. You turn this wheel to go left and right. You know how to fucking drive a car, asshole. Hey, if you run into a mob, don't. All right. And then sure enough, Robbie driving at night is driving through a bunch of people. And again, because Spielberg notably said that this is sort of a refugee story. That's what we see here is a bunch of people walking along the the road, carrying as much of their own personal shit as they can. Dude, one couple has a shopping cart full of encyclopedias. Right. What the hell's up with those people? You know, like everybody's weird about something. Like I would probably grab some shit that people would be like, what the fuck is that going to do? any good i think it's just meant to be like hey this is the stuff that they grabbed that that was meaningful to them in some way yes is it stupid of course it is they encounter more and more people and this is where robbie has to practically punch ray in the face to wake him up and the only way to get him up fully is to be like dad and he's like what the fuck no oh wait i'm up (laughs) that is not my kid Uh uh-uh i had a vasectomy when i was 13 i mean the package works but the delivery's a little off if you know what i mean (laughs) and while they're driving they end up switching places in the car and because all the people around them are starting to get wise to the fact that there's a working car amongst them Mm -hmm. rachel starts freaking out as she does in every scene in this movie just shrieking and screaming right and then tom cruise just puts the hammer down and is like man we're going pedal to the metal my friend we are getting the fuck out of here and before they can clear the people there's a woman who's standing in the middle of the road with a baby and (laughs) so again this movie's not subtle for a moment there i thought he had stolen some huggies and whatever cash you got (laughs) yeah so he veers to the right and they crash into a pole and now this swarm of people totally descends on the car they're like animals Bo (laughs) sure they're frightened and they're dangerous and they pull at the glass and smash windows and it's absolutely humanity at its worst again this is post 9-11 and we're seeing that side of people's reactions of the you know the anger and the fear and the violence that it causes then Tom Cruise remembers hey shit I got a gun that gives you immediate respect so he pulls his gun out and he fires it in the air and he's like, all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. You see this? This is my boomstick, motherfuckers. I love that everyone immediately is like, oh, be cool, baby. It's all good. Just p- p- put the gun down. It's going to be okay. You know, Bo, in the game of rock, paper, scissors, a gun is only bested by another gun pointed at close range at your head. Which is exactly what happens because another dude is like, check and mate, my friend. I've got a gun of my own now pointing at your head. He's like, so the car's mine, right? And he's like, yeah, I guess so. I'll tell you what. 
I'll make you a deal. Either I get that little girl in there or I get the van. One or the other, my friend. <laughs> you can take the girl if you think you can ride her all the way to Boston. So our trio gives up the car and then Tom Cruise just drops his gun and then a member of this angry mob picks it up and Tom Cruise and his kids, they go into this diner and outside the mob starts beating up the minivan again and who saw that coming? And then the guy who got Tom Cruise's gun, he shoots the driver of the van multiple times. This is an angry mob, Bo. <laughs> yeah, and inside the diner, Tom Cruise just cries like a little baby. Uh, removing any sense of respect that his kids ever had in him. They look at each other. They're just like, what in the hell? I, I'm just, I got something in my eye. And y'all, y'all shut up. Why don't, hey, we're in a diner. How about you go make some peanut butter sandwiches, you and your little girlfriend both? <laughs> this angry mob makes their way across a bridge over towards a ferry boat. And on their way there, we get cuts of people in the mob, all with conflicting accounts of what's going on globally with the alien ships. And it's all a big mismatch of information. And then... And there's a scene where a train arm comes down and this large passenger locomotive just zips by and the whole thing is on fire. It's pretty cool. It's it's it one of one of my favorite shots of the movie. It is pretty cool, but it sort of Does it make sense? No. Yeah, that's the, those are the words that I'm looking for. It doesn't really make sense as to what's going on here, but okay. Right. That is one of those, like, this is more interesting visually than it is logical. But in a movie that ultimately descends into a, what happened? Mm -hmm. uh, I'll take a, a train rolling by on fire where everybody just watches it go by. That is fucking badass, man. That's like something out of a fucking Molly Hatchet album cover or something. <laughs> fucking flaming trains. Shit. I got to see this. Rachel, close your goddamn eyes. <laughs> Do not look at this. This Christmas, I'm going to ask you for three things. Did you see the plane? Did you see the river of cool-ass bodies? And did you see that train on fire? If you answer yes to any of those, I'm going to smack you right in the face. We then hear Tony Bennett's If I Ruled the World playing on a loudspeaker. Like, whose aunt is working the DJ booth at this place? <laughs> right. This is the one record that survived the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Bennett velvet songs. We then see all these bulletin boards filled with photos of missing people. And there are people talking uh, through bullhorns about blood drives and please go this way and not that way. And this angry mob, they've calmed down a little bit now. And they wander over to this ferry boat. And what I'm assuming is one of Tom Cruise's previous bedroom female conquest she comes over with her teenage daughter and she's like hey tom cruise tom cruise remember me and tom cruise is like uh hey yeah uh what's up you how's it going <laughs> what's happening chief who's the hottie and she's like oh this this is my daughter oh and he's like oh okay that's that's pretty cool man she she looks like you how old are you sweetie let me ask you this are you on the cool side of the quinceanera do you know who your dad is? Because I had a vasectomy when I was 13. So I've got paperwork. I got a doctor's note. All right. You're not my kid. Imagine running into you and your Pornhub quality daughter here. About this time, Rachel looks up into the sky and there's some birds flying in the opposite direction, which you're supposed to feel like, well, that's curious. And then I'm like, no, it's not. Birds can fly wherever the hell they want to go. As we watch the birds fly off in the distance, we see this tree line where the taller trees begin to shift and move back and forth as though a T-Rex is coming but bo it's not a t-rex it's one of the giant alien tripods and so everybody in the angry mob they freak out and and lose their shit the way that crowds freak out and do in movies like this in fact this whole scene where the crowd is on the bridge it reminded me a lot of jaws
Oz where one person sees it and that one person freaks out and then everybody freaks out and they all swim to the beach and in this case they all run to the boat. Or any video taken at a Black Friday. So at this point, there are three alien tripod ships that all come in and start zapping people one by one. Tom Cruise and his crew, they don't get on the ferry boat. And Tom Cruise now uses the logic that the angry mob individual used earlier when he was driving the minivan through the crowd. And they were like, there's room in there for all of us. And he was like, no, man, fuck y'all. There's no room in here. Just me and my daughter and her guy. Like, it's just fuck. No, you can't get in here. Plus, I've been farting the whole time. So you don't want to be in here. It smells like shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as he's going through this crowd he gets up to the front and there's the military are standing up front saying you can't get on the ferry boat and he's like hey look motherfucker there's all kinds of room on that ferry boat just let me through all right there's only three of us well five if you count that piece of ass back there that i nailed last year when i saw the white snake reunion tour dude it was badass when when he originally said there's only three of us man i thought he meant the two other girls he was like all oh, right and then robbie and rachel so you have five total but like one can use a booster chair also can she order off the kids menu <laughs> tom cruise and his kids they leave the the big mob and they just sort of do this side run around and they go up this ramp and just hop on the ferry boat i don't understand the logic of this at all right i do not understand what happened but all of a sudden they're on the boat and his former conquest she's like tom cruise what are you doing i thought we had a thing and he's like hey sweetie nice to know you good to see you take care all right go serpentine that will save your life it did mine i'll tell you what i'll it'll make you dusty as shit but you will be alive at the end of it why did they even introduce this character i really don't know the ramp on the ferry boat goes up and the ferry boat starts to pull away like snapping cables and anchors and a bunch of american ninja wannabes jump in the air and they're lunging to grab onto the boat as it pulls away right and Robbie goes to the ramp and is trying to help people who were clinging to the back of the ramp over onto the ferry, which it turns out is assisted suicide, as we will find out in a moment. That's my boy, saving others in harm's way. He is a hero. My dick helped create him, which means I'm a hero for making him. Damn, I'm amazing, man. He leads over to Rachel and is like, I'll tell you what, that one might be a keeper. He seems like a real good dude. At this point, we see this whirlpool of water. And it's a pretty cool effect. I was like, oh, this is going to get good, but then it doesn't. And... (laughs) Yeah, the story of this movie. Oh, this is getting good. Aw. Hey, there's a train that's on fire. Oh, it's gone. (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit, a plane crashed. Oh, we're leaving? Okay. (laughs) But yeah, so the tripod comes up. The ferry capsizes and everyone spills into the water. It's a mini Titanic. (laughs) Yeah, except nobody like hits a rail in a really satisfying way and also you don't get any nipple. No. The tripods just start harvesting people out of the water. And Spielberg uses that gag he did in Last Crusade where the propeller is spinning and people almost get chopped up. Yeah, but again, because this movie is it's a little too mainstream for it being as grim as it wants to be, you know? that's a good point saving private ryan is an almost unrelentingly grim movie and it feels like this is a cousin to that but it just doesn't have the balls to actually go through with it yeah um so as they tom cruise and his, his kids just somehow make it to shore it's yeah they followed me motherfucker that's what they did i fucking swam them to safety all right they climb up this hill where they watch as the tripod 
much just waste people on land and water pick some up from the water as they take off through the forest clothes drift down chad like a horrifying rain which is uh way more poetic than um, pretty much any part of this yeah robbie's all worked up he wants to fight yeah like when dawn comes up we see a bunch of these refugees wandering the fields and robbie keeps walking ahead while uh rachel tells him to slow down and she's like you're walking too far ahead and she says go slow and then he falls behind and a second hand unwinds chad um <laughs> you know you brought up that you know spielberg made saving private ryan which is a an incredible movie we're a couple of dumbasses but i mean it's a, it's it is such it's a, a good masterpiece film. Absolutely. i mean it, tr- it truly is and as i watched the, the upcoming scene i really struggled to reconcile how spielberg who made private ryan and then this because you have these battle scenes and private ryan it's so visceral and real and in this it's just dopey it avoids the battle scenes and the, i mean i understand the impulse there's a lot happening over that hill sir that, and that's what it is and <laughs> and i know that both again thematically and and from spielberg's own mouth he was like hey i want to tell a story of people trying to survive in this environment and it makes more sense to focus on the people as opposed to the battlefield but then don't show me the glimpse of the cool ass battle of like guess what it's right over there Bo. if we turn the camera 90 degrees to the left you would see planes shooting missiles Said, Robbie, Rachel, hey, y'all stand over here. I'm going to go look over the, the ridge and see what's going on. Fuck, man. That is insane. That is the craziest shit I've ever seen. Rachel, close your eyes. Robbie, you cannot join them in the fight, but this is the coolest shit. Now, I thought the, the River of Bodies was pretty badass, but then the train came by on fire and that was awesome. Then did you guys see that tripod just come out of the water and tip over that ferry? Were you guys there for that? That was awesome, too. I think I saw a Bigfoot when we were going through the woods, man. This this has been the greatest day of my life. And by the way, Robbie, have you finished that report on the French occupation of Algeria? That's due Monday, which I think was yesterday. If you think you're going to go fight these aliens and die, I'm not writing that report for you. You got to get your priorities straight, Robbie. Yeah, so Robbie, because there's this cool-ass battle hoping ha- happening over the hill, decides that he's going to just take off and go fight. And Tom Cruise tells Rachel, like, hey, I'm putting you by this tree. That way I know where you are. Now, I want you to hang on to this tree don't go anywhere i'm gonna go try to get your brother now which one is your brother can you point him out to me what is his name just tell me his name i'm gonna i'm gonna shout it out robbie all right robbie didn't nobody look turn around rachel what does he look like what do you mean wait he's that one your boyfriend hold on you two are sick but also I get it. <laughs> he is a dish, Rachel. I ain't lying. I'm going to let you in on something. I like prego porn and I like granny porn. Problem is, the two don't mesh together because you can't have babies when you're a granny. I found that out the hard way. I had to pay $2,000 <laughs> for an old woman to put on one of them fake pregnancy bellies. <laughs> she did it too. It was the hottest thing I ever saw. I got my money's worth. Let me tell you that much. Robbie just runs off and he's like, fuck you, dad. I'm going to go fight aliens. And he runs off over the ridge. And about this time, we see a bunch of army jeeps that are on fire come rolling over the top of this hill. And then just a massive wave of fire rains down, letting us, the audience, know that Robbie is 100% unquestionably really most sincerely dead. Right. This is similar to the moment in that last Star Wars movie where the transport ship holding Chewbacca just splits in half and explodes. Where you're like, holy shit, Chewbacca is fucking 
dead. Is that what happens in the movie? I haven't seen it yet. Yes. Is he dead? No. Does Robbie show up in a Chewbacca costume? Pre- pretty much. And like two minutes later, they were like, oh, no, there was another ship behind it. You never saw it. it that movie is a real piece of shit <laughs> for Rise of Skywalker. That is that is an, an affront to God and man. Like you said, there's a firebombing of Vietnam-esque proportions where everything in that valley would be gone. Yes. There's nothing left but memories. <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise like overhears some army dudes being like, hey, you know, we got to hold the tripods until we can get these refugees to safety. Hey, man, you want to hear something crazy? This broad that I saw back at the ferry boat, she used to call me the tripod. <laughs> it's because my dick is so big. I like granny porn and prego porn. Do y'all know where I could get a prego granny porn without having to spend $2,000? You boys are in the military. Have you been to, to Bangkok or any place like that? I'm not traveled outside of the States too much, but thought maybe you boys. One of the greatest moments of my life was this old woman just jerking me off with a lace doily. And better yet... The Price is Right was on. It was the hottest shit ever. You know, it's weird. Like when you find that shit, like you'd never think that's the thing's going to get you off. And then you find something to get you off. And you're like, damn, I've learned something about myself. What I learned that day was I like old women doing it. <laughs> the older, the better. That Speaking of the Titanic, that old chick from that movie, <laughs> I'd give her the jewel of the semen. I'm glad she let Leonardo DiCaprio die. That makes room for me. But then again, you know, actuarial tables being what they are. By the time I thought she was hot, he probably would have been dead anywho. I call the local assisted living, living facility my buffet. And I ain't there for pudding. Unless it's putting it between one of them old ladies' legs. This is one of the grossest episodes we've done. <laughs> Not one of them. It is the <laughs> grossest. All right, so Robbie ends up running off. Yeah, he's gone. He pulls a Chewbacca. A, a flaming Jeep comes over this hill and then explodes. <laughs> that sounds so much cooler than it really is. I mean, you take what you can get in this back end of this movie. <laughs> and this is the point, man. I, I told you this offline. There are a few movies where I can chart the exact point I stopped carrying in a film. And it's this moment where you see Tim Robbins coming out of like his tornado shelter mm-hmm. under his house going, hey, over here. He's holding a shotgun up in the in the air like a, a resistance fighter or something. And it's, yeah, he looks like a doomsday prepper. <laughs> yes. And so Tom Cruise and Rachel. Come on, Rachel. This looks safe. He's got a shotgun and he's got a basement. Let's go. Basements kept us alive last night. You know, I like the odds on this. I bet that some bitch got a sub basement too. Look how fancy this looks. It's got double doors going down into it and they take the bait and go into this basement tom cruise is just totally in shock believing that robbie has now been completely roasted dude i don't know how i'm gonna deal with this my young daughter's older boyfriend's dead i can't find my son anywhere you lose one person in a day it's tough you lose two i don't know what to say man shit fool me won't get fooled again you lose two So in the basement of this kook's house, Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise is telling Rachel, no, Robbie's going to meet us in Boston. Just when you get there, close your eyes and don't ever open them again. He's like, I bet up in Boston, your grandma is making some shitty tea because that old bitch, sexy as she is, can't make tea (laughs) for nothing. Then Rachel is like, I need you to sing me a lullaby so I can go to sleep. And he's like, huh, well, I ain't much of a father. I don't know any of the songs that you know. I got a lullaby for you. Here I go again on my own, going down the only road I've ever known. 
Like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. While I'm singing this, imagine Tawny Kitane on the hood of a car, just rolling around all sexy-like. Not Tawny Kitane from way back. Tawny Kitane today. I think she's like 72 or 73. Just picture that, and then uh, and then leave the room. He, what he sings to her, Chad, is Little Deuce Coop further scarring this poor little girl because everything from the Beach Boys is bullshit until Pet Sounds. Dude, I didn't even recognize he was singing Little Deuce Coop until those words came out of his mouth. It, he is such a terrible singer in this moment. Well, and also, the only reason you can recognize it is because the song is about a goddamn car. And 90% of all songs about cars are by the Beach Boys. And the rest are by the cars. Tim Robbins walks over and he clanks a couple of glasses together and he's like, hey, man i got some peach schnapps if you want to get lit and at this point this movie just grinds to a screeching halt yes but immediately he's like what you got peach schnapps hell yeah let's do it come on brother you got any white snake striper warrant gnr stab in the dark you got any sativa and or sense of me nope all right peach schnapps it is Tim Robbins says, hey man, those tripods were buried under our feet back before people were even here. This isn't a war, it's an extermination. Everybody's gonna die, man. And then Tom Cruise says, look, motherfucker, my daughter can hear your bullshit, so keep it quiet. Comprende? I'm trying to be a good dad for once in my fucking life, and you are fucking it up for me, you piece of shit. I saw you over there sharpening a shovel like it's a fucking knife. You're a cuckoo head, you... So there's some rumbling outside, and Tim Robbins is like, hey man, look out the window. They're a bunch of tripods. They're doing some large-scale gardening out there, man. And Tom Cruise is like, hey, before you brought me and that little girl over there uh, down here, what did you think you were going to do? And he, he's like, well, we just hide underground like they did, man. It's a it's a whole switcheroo. Like, we're going to hide underground like they hid underground. And then we rise up like a bunch of revolutionaries. This is the moment in the film where Tom Cruise realizes that he asked the one guy at Home Depot where to find air filters. And that this dude has no idea where anything in Home Depot is located. Right. It's a guy that does not work at Home Depot, but loves the vests. He makes his own with his little name badge. No, I just like to come and wander the aisles, man, and help people. <laughs> at this point, Tim Robbins makes a turn for the pedophile where he's sitting with Rachel on the stairs in this darkened basement. And he says, you know, if anything ever happens to your daddy, I'll take care of you. And then Tom Cruise says, hey, motherfucker, if you want to talk to somebody, you talk to me. You need to stay away from that little girl. All right. You're a weirdo. If her dad ever finds out that you're over there talking to her like that he's gonna be pissed tim robbins is like hey man i think you want to get caught maybe you just want to turn yourself in and tom cruise is like hey shut up for a second you smell something and sure enough there is the eye kind of it's a repeat of the the scene from the 50s war of the worlds where like this extendo eye tentacle comes through the basement and it's a bunch of them playing cat and mouse as as the thing is looking around searching for survivors and they're hiding from it. I think the technical term for it is prolonged unnecessary suspense. The thing is, it's not very suspenseful at all. No, there's a lot of Jurassic Park raptors sneaking around trying to get those kids. And there's no noise. I, I remember seeing this scene in the theater and just being so bored. Yeah. I get what it's trying to do, but it doesn't do it very well. So Tim Robbins, he grabs an axe and he's going to chop up this surveillance nozzle as it slithers by. But then he and Tom Cruise, they communicate without talking. It's like... Shit. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Oh no, 
fuck us up for me. When the eye finally goes away, the whole thing happens again. Uh-huh. When when the Independence Day aliens, yeah. which come on, man, that movie had been out. Surely to God, they weren't just like, look, we have spent so much money on the tripods and the heat rays and the ferry and the train on fire. We are out of money on designing aliens. We're not ripping them off. They ripped us off seven years ago. That's all. But it's the same shit again of the aliens come down into the basement. Cat and mouse. Right. And they cat and mouse it. And the same thing happens only instead of the axe, it's a shotgun. Finally, they leave. That's the end of your big suspenseful scene. They leave. It is. Then Tim Robbins, the one good moment in all of this is him saying, you and me, I don't think we're on the same page, man. I thought that was pretty funny. So the next day or a week from then or whenever. Wait, the next day, it's like five minutes later. Whenever. There are these like veiny looking roots that start coming to the house. And then. So what happens is they see this dude who is like in a basket under the alien tripod get pulled out, thrown to the ground. And then they just like stick an I drink your milkshake straw in the guy. Yep. And slurp up his blood to spray the landscape i guess hey man they're grinding people up into pulp and spraying it on the ground i don't want that to happen to me this is the point where i'm like what is happening so the aliens are trying to recreate their home world by making red plants where did you get that i look i'm guessing i don't know what the fuck is really (laughs) happening but like they're using people as fertilizer it doesn't matter they're killing people and they're spewing them out and but another thing about this chad i'm sorry this really sticks in my craw another thing about this is this all happens like them slurping the guy's blood out and stuff they throw the guy down behind a car so all you see is this tube going Mm -hmm. into roughly the same position we saw the guy toss before and then blood starts to spew and it's like wait so they're stabbing the guy it takes a second to put it all together because again this movie doesn't show you what's really happening and i and the reason they don't do it i'm sure is because that would be horrifying and you can't do that in a movie that's pg or pg-13 or a steven spielberg film starring tom cruise that's supposed to be a summer blockbuster right but it's like well then don't make that make independence day right and not have people being fertilizer for aliens because that's kind of cool but you're not doing anything with it and it's that's why i said at the outset i think independence day did war of the world's better than this war of the world's remake absolutely so tim robbins like hey man i don't want to get turned into blood fertilizer i'm gonna dig my way out of here not my blood not my blood not my blood he runs down into his basement sub basement and starts digging a hole in the wall and shawshanking his way out of it tom cruise comes in and he's like hey motherfucker you gotta shut up you're screaming and yelling and hear about alien blood and these alien assholes are gonna hear you and all your fucking crazy nonsense and then tim robbins turns around and just Bonk, hits Tom Cruise on the head with the shovel. Yeah, it's pretty good. And so in response, Tom Cruise goes back out into the main basement, puts a blindfold around his daughter's eyes, and he's like, look, you need to sing one of those uh, dumbass lullabies that I didn't know, and uh, I'm going to go in that sub-basement room and make sure that Tim Robbins isn't dead. Stay <laughs> here, look away from the door, cover your ears, cover your eyes, and I'm going to go in there and definitely like uh, kill anybody, all right? So then Tom Cruise goes into the sub-basement where he pulls a Hawkeye Pierce and I guess just strangles Tim Robbins to death. You hear some scuffling. Again, why not show something happen in this movie? It's so unsatisfying. Right. He just, he, you hear the, the scuffle and then Tom Cruise comes out of, of the sub-basement, sits down beside Rachel and she just hugs him. 
Yeah, I guess the idea is that he made the ultimate sacrifice to save his daughter. Well, then he wouldn't be dead if he made the ultimate sacrifice. He made, someone else made the ultimate sacrifice so that his daughter could be saved. He made the second ultimate sacrifice. Look, the penultimate sacrifice. I'm not going to die for you, but I mean, shit, I'll kill a motherfucker for you. Hey, you don't even have to ask. (laughs) All I ask is that you put on that blindfold so you don't see how awesome it is when I kill this motherfucker. And then later today, I need you to piss in this mason jar. I got to go to work on thursday what i'm pregnant we cut to tom cruise and rachel and they're sleeping on the couch in dead tim robbins house and rachel wakes up to see the nozzle eye looking at her so she naturally starts screaming at the top of her lungs and then tom cruise goes full-on paul bunyan with this axe and chops the nozzle into while rachel runs off and that's reminiscent of the original as well tom cruise exits the house and as he goes outdoors he finds his way to a sound stage that is just covered in bloody roots and just spread human flesh and it kind of looks like what i imagine rob zombies introduction uh to the willy wonka chocolate room would look like if i may a little note comparison once more Cruz goes chasing her through the Wonka factory created by the aliens of red vines all over the place. I thought you were going to really punctuate it with the Rob Zombie part too. No, but that's what's going on. And then he, like, as he's chasing after Rachel, a tripod sneaks up on him, I guess. Man, the number of times in, in movies like this wh- where we have to suspend disbelief of like, oh, this five-story alien death machine just creeps up on someone. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so fucking stupid. And he hides in a truck and the tripod picks it up and throws it as Tom Cruise is in the truck overturned now. He sees Rachel get got by the tripod. It grabs her and, and sticks her in the basket. And Tom Cruise Cruise, who has found this is the coolest day of my life. Not only am I in a Wonka factory, I now have grenades. But yeah, he finds this belt that has grenades on it. I'm like fucking Randall Tex Cobb come to life. This is fucking amazing. Is there a chopper around here that I can fucking do donuts on or some shit? Immediately, as you would expect this character to do, he yanks a pin and tosses this grenade. See if these fuckers are live, man. They might be dummies. Shit, I gotta know what I'm dealing with here. Let me throw it at the thing that has my daughter rachel catch this if you can stick it up its asshole we'll see it in a second (laughs) and the tripod (laughs) turns around and is like huh and grabs tom cruise and then dumps him in this basket of people under the belly of the thing as well Mm -hmm. and then inside (laughs) inside the basket chad like immediately there is what can only be called a sphincter. I called it a big red butthole. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. He's like, Rachel, Rachel, you see this thing? It looks just like an asshole. <laughs> he basically responds the way every dad does when you see a baboon at the zoo. <laughs> yeah. And this tentacle comes out of the asshole and grabs a dude and sucks him up into the ass of the ship. Then another tentacle comes out a couple of minutes later and grabs Tom Cruise. And he's like, oh, no, man, not like that. And he grabs this belt of grenades. And the other people in this basket who never thought to do this before now. And the first one is a soldier in his camouflage. Well, that's why I didn't see him. Because I'm proud to be an American. They they pull Tom Cruise free of the asshole. But then Tom Cruise is like, look at this, motherfucker. And then he shows that he's got all the grenade pins in his hand. 
He's like, look, I made little rings. I'm going to give one of, one of these to that hot girl I saw on the ferry. I can't afford a ring, but I can make one. It's sentimental. Then the thing just explodes, and the basket falls <laughs> into the trees, and the tripod goes down. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It No, 100% it doesn't, because it's not like, again, in Independence Day, where you find the weakness, and then you radio Iraq that's like, where have the Americans been all this time? No, in this movie, it's like, hey, hey, man, I'm going to fucking take some grenades and stick it up this thing's asshole and blow the fuck up right and i guess that's supposed to be the catharsis of this movie or something but it's not it's just it's just like oh my god did that thing have an asshole like i'm still haunted by this we saw it shit earlier and i mean and it shit a lot <laughs> right apparently it's all the people it's eating that don't agree with it <laughs> then we just cut to tom cruise and a bunch of other refugees finally making it to boston uh-huh and we see that the vines are dying the vines that were introduced 10 minutes ago those are dying now and a tripod <laughs> crashes into a building in the distance hey man what the fuck happened to that ufo <laughs> uh, sir just keep moving i just fell over what the fuck it just fell over dead and rachel's like father how did it file over dead all by itself? And then Tom Cruise says, Rachel, now is not the time. I'm tired. I have got Tim Robbins blood all over my hands that he accidentally put there when he leaned in with his neck. Today's not the day. All right, just shut up. Cruise then says, hey, soldier boy, look, a bunch of birds are on that tripod. And the soldier's like, yeah, keep it moving, weirdo. He's like, no, man, if the birds are on there, that means there's no shield. Birds cannot penetrate alien shield. In anybody knows that do you have some grenades i can show you where its asshole is we can wrap this up real quick i'll tell you what i'll show you where to attack the alien let me bend over and take off my pants and give you a visual aid yeah finally the soldiers just fire a rocket at the thing and it blows up and a bunch of soldiers then surround the, uh, this tripod Along with a bunch of people who are just like, say, yes. something interesting's happening over here. And something interesting does happen because the asshole of this alien ship opens up and about 200 gallons of orange space diarrhea pour out all over the ground. Yeah. And then one of those stupid looking aliens just falls halfway out and dies. Yeah. I'll be right here. <laughs> yeah the reverse et we call it and then that's it for the aliens because then we just go to the mother-in-law's place aka hot Graham. did you tell your mom what i said about hugs and kisses hey what's up judy judy it's me tc did you get those flowers i sent you on your birthday all right they were from me that was me did you make any of that shitty tea judy hey i'll drink it you know but that ain't the only thing i'm gonna drink if you know what i mean hey have you ever thought about putting a, a beach ball up under your shirt and walking around have you had the change of life judy i mean I, the answer is probably yes but it's worth asking the question so yeah they they get there robbie it turns out is alive the whole time and has somehow made it ahead of them to boston tom cruise and robbie hug and robbie says hide that and he's like what oh Oh, you're my son. Do you have any pictures of your grandma naked? And let me follow that with a uh, question B. Um, how long are you going to be staying here? And can you text me said pictures? <laughs> if you don't have one now, I guarantee you can get one. If the house is the same as when I used to come here a lot, that bathroom door does not lock all the way. You wait till you hear the water running, then stop. You kick that door open, Photoshop a big belly on it, and send it to me. I will give you $2,000. <laughs> and then morgan freeman comes in and says bacteria or a virus or something killed all the aliens blah 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 
I'm Morgan Freeman, the end. <laughs> right. You can't hurt the ones we love. Only we can hurt the ones we love or something. And then that's it. That is that is Steven Spielberg's The War of the Worlds. Like I said, there is a solid hour of this movie that I think is genuinely pretty good. And then the back end of this thing is just the biggest pile of who cares. I don't know that I agree with that. I agree that it's bad. I don't even know that there's an hour that I enjoy. There's so many moments in this movie, like from the pretentiousness of the daughter, the heavy handed relationship between Tom Cruise and his son, and to a lesser extent, you know, the daughter as well. Him being miscast as the dad, I can see what they were trying to go for. It just doesn't work that well. And this is one of my biggest problems with Rotten Tomatoes is that it is thumbs up, thumbs down. It's a yes or a no. And if you look at a lot of movies, like I see this with a lot of children's entertainment, that if you had to look at it and say, yes or no there are certain films that you you'd be like yeah if, if i've got to say yes or no i'll give it a yes but it's not that good so you will see films that have 90 95 freshness ratings on rotten tomatoes but it's like everything is like getting a, a d plus to get a passing grade as opposed to having more people that are a little more nuanced in their reviews of saying here's why you should see it or maybe here's why you shouldn't see it that's kind of the review i prefer these days is is the one that isn't just you know stars or thumbs up or whatever like i i saw that jumanji uh sequel recently uh-huh. uh the welcome to the jungle and that movie is perfectly okay it is yeah. the it is the movie i wanted to watch at the time which is this is in no way intellectually challenging i'm gonna chuckle a few times and when it's over i'm not gonna think about it that much and on that level it's like well thumbs up i guess it is non-threatening it is pleasant enough but is ultimately kind of meaningless entertainment on the one level i wish that's kind of what this movie had been and been more of an independence day as we've been talking about the fact that it tries to get a little highfalutin either you go that direction fully or you pull back i think if the movie at the point where robbie takes off and dies we should never see him again but if you do if you do what if you had left out all the the tim robbins thing Mm -hmm. you find out like tom cruise then becomes part of the resistance then he finds out that you can kill the aliens with grenades Grenades in their buttholes yeah I mean don't lose that that's maybe the best part of the movie and then that spreads like he leads the resistance to overthrow the aliens in that way then you kind of got something or at least it feels like it's a movie where the main character has some agency but if it's going to be dark make it really dark right have the dead people on the plane you know see him strangle Tim Robbins have the son be dead hell have the daughter die have him show up empty handed at his ex-wife's house and just be like I fucked up real bad. (laughs) Yeah. But also like even the fifties version, which the last, what, 10, 15 minutes of that movie, it's like, Hey, humanity had one shot left. The mob destroyed that chance. And so now everyone, including the scientists who were all going to save us are now just retiring to churches where they are awaiting their deaths. Right. And and then just by happenstance, the virus takes out the alien ships. But it doesn't even bother with the grenades up the asshole move of like, no, there's never a glimmer of hope. It is just one defeat after another until the best hope of humanity has given up. And that's why I think the original George Powell film is ultimately kind of darker and more affecting. I felt 
way more creeped out by the end of the 50s version. Because they all give up. Yeah, because they, they realize there is no hope. The movie ends up hanging that on a religious sort of thing that I'm not crazy about. But, you know, it's at least something. It's a perspective yeah. that the movie has. And th- this movie doesn't have that. Like, at the end of the movie, it's like, well, the lesson is that we earned our place on this planet just by developing an immunity to germs. That's a stupid lesson for a movie to have. <laughs> Maybe the the biggest problem with the movie is how frustrating it is because you see glimpses of what could be a really good version of this story, and it it's too much of one thing, not of enough uh, enough of another thing, and it ends up just being a big mess that doesn't seem to really have a point. Speaking of big messes that don't really seem to have a point, Bo, what do we have coming up on our next episode of Pick Six Movies? Oh, Chad, this is a this is a Bo Ransdell special here. Oh, Jesus Christ! Coming right down the middle at you. It is the William Shatner epic kingdom of the spiders it's a movie that has its own theme song it has a lot of tarantulas and it's got a barnstorming pipe and for our loyal listeners on the date that this podcast hits we will be posting for free online for free anyone who wants to watch this can because it's on youtube and that's where i saw it because it's not available to find anywhere else yes i have the blu-ray <laughs> sure i do i have the blu-ray of kingdom of the spiders because why on earth would i not one of the things i love about doing this podcast with you is that you regularly pull a movie just out of your ass and i'm like i've never heard of this i would never watch this and this is the wild card of this season it's terrible but i'll be looking forward to discussing it with you in two weeks time so as always like rate review send us an email pick six movies at gmail.com let us know what you think if you have a recommendation for a future season let us know we'll certainly take it into consideration we have a whole lot of fun stuff planned for the rest of this season and then really through the rest of the year but who knows if you've got a brilliant idea and you want us to tackle six movies send it over our way and we will certainly uh kick it around and, and see if it's worth our time Bo, any final thoughts on what movie did we do? War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, Bo? Yeah, there was also a really terrible uh, series in, I think, the 90s called War of the Worlds. That was 88. 88. It was one of those syndicated television. It was a sequel to the original film. It's it's a real something. If you you really want to watch crap television, I can't recommend the War of the Worlds series highly enough. Wasn't George Romero involved with that Once Upon a Time or something? Maybe. I mean, not enough that he had any real hand in it. He might have been a producer. Richard Rubenstein, his producing partner, very well could have had a hand in it. If you didn't get enough War of the Worlds from this episode, the remake and the original, go track down this television show that Bo is talking about that I've never seen and never will. (laughs) And also watch Kingdom of the Spiders. Yes, for next week. All right. Two weeks time. We'll see you again. Thanks, everybody.